Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. I don't mind telling you, if I was Neffet, if I was the acting chief medical officer, if I was the minister for health, I would put Cork on level three or higher right now. Right now, this very minute. I wouldn't even wait. I'll tell you why. I've just been doing the numbers. They're scary. I've been doing the numbers again this morning. I'll give them to you in a few minutes. They're scary. We've reached a very, very scary point with the numbers in Cork as of this morning. Good morning 1850-715-996 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696 The email for the show is opinion at 96fm.ie Twitter is at opinionline96 and uh, the hashtag is hashtag OL96 and of course you can contact us via Facebook using the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. Before I do those numbers for you, and I promise I will, I want to go to Catherine Clancy, President of the Mag- Chair of the Magazine Road Residents Association, because this is Freshers' Week, kicking off today. And the Magazine Road Residents, and I think many more besides, are calling for UCC to officially cancel Freshers' Week. Morning, Catherine. Good morning, PJ. I suppose I just clarify, first of all, PJ, is that um, we met with UCC on Friday, the residents. We also met with Chief Superintendent Barry McPoland yes. and the CEO of Cork City Council and Doherty. We are concerned what we went through the summer as residents, but also re um, the starting of Freshers' Week last night. And, you know, for the very first time, we saw real, real re- leadership coming out of UCC and the acting president, John O'Halloran, saying, you know, that no way would they be uh, supporting Freshers' Week and that they would be calling on the Students' Union to cancel Freshers' Week. And, you know, we took a great a comfort from that. They also wrote to all students to say that they were supporting Freshers' Week UCC. And I know all this weekend, UCC and on Garda have been in negotiations with the uh, Students' Union, yeah. asking them to cancel even at this late stage, Freshers' Week. We did ask Interim President O'Halloran to join us this morning, uh, but he's unfortunately too busy, um, which we respect. He's been fantastic. What he has said to us as well, which we welcome as residents, is that he has left his diary free on a number of dates for this week and next week to deal with the issues of house parties. If there are house parties reported to UCC, they will deal with them at the highest level, including expulsion, which nobody wants to see. Of course, nobody wants to see an expulsion. Catherine, is and this has- a separate issue or is it a follow-on from the summer? It's, I suppose 
it's compounded by what happened to us in the summer. You know what I mean? We've had 15 weeks and we were, we're very reassured when we see UCC opening. You know what I mean? But even during the summer, we were worried about Freshers' Week because Freshers' Week has always been a difficult week for us as residents. But particularly last Friday when we heard on Taoiseach Michal Martin in Cork City asking us as citizens of Cork, as residents of Cork, you know, given the numbers now of COVID-19 rising, that we all all take responsibility. The COVID virus doesn't spread in its own. You know, there are a lot of things the government are responsible for, but the government aren't responsible for the spread of COVID-19. That's up to each and every one of us. They might have issues about how they handle it afterwards, but not on the spread. And it's very clear from Nessus, it's very clear from um, Ronan Glynn when he was talking last Friday, he said, like, you know, it's not inevitable that we move to stage three. It is inevitable if we don't do what we're being asked to do in Mm. the coming days. Well, the numbers that I'll be doing in in a minute, Mm. Catherine, to me, inevitable, scream Mm. inevitable, uh, phase three. Now, the the Taoiseach was here on Friday. It was off on Friday, but Deirdre had the Taoiseach in studio for quite a lengthy interview. And uh, she asked him about level three and about third level and about all of that. Here's Mm. what Micheál Martin had to say on the opinion line on Friday. Uh, obviously, at the, the, the higher education end, we know the, to be fair to CIT and to UCC and to the universities more generally, they, they, they do have very strong protocols, strong guidance for students, uh, and there is a particular focus on that now and will be. And the USI, the Union Students of Ireland, are cooperating very strongly with the Minister of Higher Education, Simon Harris, in that regard. And we will be doing a joint communications approach with the students in terms of communicating the message to third level students. Okay. He wasn't actually saying there to them not to cancel anything or not to do anything or anything like that, but that's more or less his attitude was on Friday. Now, you say you've not heard anything from the Students' Union officially in terms of in terms of Fresh Week just yet. No, what we've been told is that, and it did start last night, that they were not cancelling uh, Freshers' Week. That's what they were doing. Was, uh, it was called a virtual Freshers' Week. Well, I can tell you, PJ, there is no such thing as a virtual Freshers' Week. The coronavirus does not understand virtual. Well, virtual Freshers' Week will mean for us. There'll be real house parties. There'll be real queues outside our local centre shop. There'll be real queues outside the um, the pubs in our local area. You know what I mean? And up last night it started. We saw young people passing us way down with slabs, like the great big white hunters, up and down the road, gathering for house parties connected mm. with ECHO. Now, I would have to say as well, I mean, as I say, we had a very positive meeting on Friday with UCC, also on Garda Siakana, and the Garda Siakana had a huge presence here last night, including Superintendent um, O'Sullivan here himself in, in the area because they have, you know, huge concerns about the spread of the virus in mm. the coming week or so, and they're, they're giving it the attention that it needs. But like for you, for the students' union as a body, you know, we've had, I suppose, parties during the summer and there were kind of the individuals working on their own. But a body like the students' union now supporting the gatherings that will take place in our community in the next week is, uh, is unacceptable. Like, they're a great body, the Students' Union, and I hear them on yesterday about, you know, the rents that young people are now paying for properties that they don't even know they'll be occupying. And they're real issues for the mm. Students' Union mm. to be dealing with. This is not an issue for the Students' Union to take a stand on. I'd be asking the Students' Union, like all of us, to take responsibility. Tell the young people, if possible, stay at home. But if they have come to Cork, and a lot of them have because the houses all around us here are full, yeah. is to stay safe. Do not be putting on events that encourage them to gather. 
together yeah. because we're told to stay separate. And that's a lonely place. I know that well, June, it is a lonely place. Let, let, let's let's look back yeah. on, on June and July yeah. when, when you yeah. and I spoke frequently about the mm-hmm. occupation of the houses up in, in your area and yeah. you were deeply upset about it and it was a very big story in the summertime. Back then, our fortnightly case rate say on the 20, this is the 27th of September. So our fortnightly case rate in Cork in June 27 was three. Mm-hmm. Three or four, mm-hmm. right? In July it was mm-hmm. 15. Mm-hmm. So, so those numbers were very, very low. They were. Our they fortnightly were, yes. case rate today, Catherine, is 366. So it's very dangerous In Belfast, eh, there's an outbreak in the university. It is like, it's as sure as night follows day. We'll have an outbreak in UCC unless we all pull together. But as Ronan Glynn said, it's not inevitable. It's up to all of us to do our part. And I'm calling now, even at this late stage, you know, we had a meeting on Friday with UCC on Card Shea and the CEO. Nisha Crowley, the president of UCC, was invited to that meeting as well. He wasn't present. I'm calling on him now at this late stage to cancel the event to cancel the event and the events that are taking place around what is put uh, in brackets of virtual Freshers okay. Week. There okay. is no such thing as a virtual stay, stay, Week. Stay with me. Stay with me. Yeah. Stay with me, Catherine, yeah. for just, just a moment because I want to go to line three where they tell me Beth O'Reilly, who's the Students' Union Commercial and Fundraising Officer, is there. Beth, good morning. Good morning. morning. Hi. Good morning, Beth. Is it not time to pull the plug completely on Freshers' Week? I think that the events that we have lined up for this week are definitely very different to what residents and UCC themselves have been kind of uh, stating. Um, our events definitely aren't encouraging people to get together. For the most part, they're live streams from societies, which we've been doing all summer and we've never had any issues with. The virtual Freshers Fest is taking place completely online. There's no events where we have any live presence, um, any events that feature an artist or a band they've either recorded themselves at their home or we've socially distanced pre-recorded them in um, venues around Cork um, so this really is the safest option we can offer people well, there is, it's not the safest best the safest option is not do it at all that's the safest I, option I think that virtual events pose literally no risk to the student body in terms of we've all been told that the safest way to carry out events is to do them online. And you see But how do you know who's watching and what numbers they're watching in and where they're watching? We'll be using a platform called Twitch. We've partnered with Twitch for the um, for Freshers Week so we'll see exactly how many numbers are watching and we know that we've got people from all the different society committees and society um, members to tune in to their events. Like one of our panels today is a discussion on what the future will look like according to two UCC societies. Now, I don't understand how that kind of event could encourage anybody to get together and drink. Mm. If anything, these virtual events offer the Students' Union a way to consistently reiterate to students to stay home and to stay safe. Is, is the college bar open? No. No. Um, the, like, um, UCC is closed... Students are not encouraged to come to campus unless absolutely necessary. There's no lectures taking place. And we're providing a form of alternative entertainment to going out and going to house parties. Our events will in no way encourage people to get together. Um, They really are just entertainment. And also for the students who 
who couldn't move down to court this year because mm. they're high risk themselves or they have a high risk okay. parent. We don't want them to feel isolated. Okay. Well, look, let's 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 say that the virtual stuff is as safe as you can make it, and fair play for looking at that. But the problem is when you even have the very mention of a freshers' week, you're going to have slabs of beer up Magazine Road people gathering in the houses and at a time during the summer when we had a very low uh, incidence in in Cork City, that was an annoyance to to the locals. But now we have a very high incidence of of COVID-19 in Cork City and County, very high in fact. I'll tell you how disturbingly high it is in a minute. Those parties are going to happen. Definitely. And I'm in no way encouraging house parties or gatherings. But I don't think Could you ask is, directly ask members of the students' body not to do we it? We will be, yeah. We have several events throughout the week that we'll be going that we're going to be live streaming where we'll be promoting um alternatives and where we'll be encouraging students to stay home and we're working with the USI on their new campaign launch about staying home and staying distant and keeping your group small and staying safe. Um we completely acknowledge the risk that um college starting again has um on Cork. And we think that, um, if anything, a rise in cases, while it may be inevitable, can be prevented if we consistently encourage the students and the residents and everybody else, because students are not the only people who are in Cork. And, you know, Cork's cases were rising before students ever came back to college. Um, But we'll be encouraging everyone to stay safe. And mm. just wondering who benefits from the virtual Freshers Week. Why would it, why could it not just be cancelled? Cancel everything for now. Well, I think that the students would feel ultimately let down by that. And I think the association with Freshers Week and drinking um, and house parties is something that goes beyond us having any event. Um, if we were to cancel virtual Freshers Week, I can guarantee you there would still be house parties. Um, but it might go somewhere towards it. It might look like a gesture, Beth. Do you know what I mean? Like, and you say that cancelling Freshers like people have had to cancel. People have not been able to attend the funeral of loved ones for the last six months. Wait, weddings have been cancelled. People haven't seen their parents and grandparents and elderly aunts and uncles for months on end. Would it not? Would it not just be a, a move of genuine solidarity to say, as a students' union, Freshers' Week is done, done. But I think ultimately students have also been suffering during these times and we need to provide some way for students to reach out, socialise safely. They've also been locked down. They haven't seen their friends possibly since March when we were told that we had to leave That's kind of a first world problem, Beth. I'm sorry it is, you know. That's kind of a first world problem. I don't think the isolation of students and their mental health is a first world problem. We see a huge epidemic of students who are, you know, experiencing mental illness, depression, anxiety. And we need to give them, um, like, valid and safe ways to talk to people and to get to know other students. Okay. I'll leave it there with you. Thanks very much. That's Beth O'Reilly, the commercial and fundraising officer from uh, the Students' Union, UCC. Catherine Clancy, what do you think of that? I just say, like, you know, Beth sounds... Are you there? Catherine? Uh, she's dropped off there, guys. You can try and get her back from the and take a quick break. 1850-715-996. We got a message from Nisha, the president of the Students' Union at UCC, Nisha Crowley, who said, I hope you keep yourself safe and well. I'm at meetings from 9 to 6 today, so I couldn't, it wouldn't work, couldn't do the show. I'd potentially come on another day, depending on the timing and depending on 
the schedule. So you can get Catherine back there till I just finish with her lads. 1850-715996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Supermarket Vickers Road. Every day washing and drying. Done within an hour. Selfservicelaundry.ie You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Corks 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure to join me every weekday from four for the show that wins you brownie points with your partner. Oh my god, my girlfriend is gonna be absolutely chilling. The show that gets the inside scoop with celebrities. This is gonna be like somewhere between the Little Late Show meets Anton Dexter Night Takeaway meets a full-on rave. And all the stuff you never knew you needed to know. Right. It is all the sensations of licking. A hairy, fluffy belly button. So, for all that and more, I'll talk to you weekdays from four. The Big Drive Home. Let's talk business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Okay, just checking back in briefly with Catherine Clancy. Catherine, the, just what, what, what Beth yes. was saying there yesterday briefly, yeah? Or just, yeah quite ago. just to say, like, you know... Um, Beth, she sounds like, you know, a very good person and the Students' Union do play, you know, a pivotal role in highlighting issues around uh, students. But in this instance, you know, it's bigger than the Students' Union, what's happening in the city at the moment, the spread of the coronavirus on an hourly basis. And I'm calling on the Students' Union at this late stage. There is no such thing as a virtual Freshers' Week, that they will come out clearly and give the message, you know, against house parties, against uh, social gatherings, and that... In well, to be fair, time, she did say they yeah. do discourage that. They don't want that happening, but they've no, yeah, they but generally, the they've no control over it outside the no, college freshers gates, really. Week, freshers' Week and the word Freshers' Week go hand in hand, and we're experts on it in, our, in this area here, go hand in hand with house parties, would go hand in hand with uh, anti-social behaviour. That's what the part of the uh, Freshers' Week that we see here. It started last night and it will continue for the week. And I'm saying to the Students' Union, please, please come out and cancel the event. It doesn't have the support of UCC. It doesn't have the support of Angarda Siakona. It doesn't have the support of us as residents. And in two weeks' time, if there is spread, and we all hope there isn't, of coronaviruses are an upsurge in this city and that we're heading into stage three, that it can't be said that the Students' Union played a part in having those numbers rise. All right, we okay. We need to work together uh, to keep it at bay. All right, Thanks. okay. Okay. Cheers, Bye. Catherine. Leave it there. That's Catherine Clancy from the magazine Road Residence. We heard Beth from the Students' Union, uh, Beth O'Reilly, their fundraising officer, who said they're going entirely virtual, entirely online, and they feel that that is okay. They'll, everything has been taught out, socially distanced, pre-recorded, everything. There are no actual gatherings of any kind. That doesn't seem to be enough for the magazine road residents. They want the whole lot cancelled once and for all. Let's pop out to uh, CIT and talk to Dr. Dan Collins, who's the head of Academic Admin and Student Affairs. It's a big, long title, Dan. You've had a, you've had a, busy, a busy weekend. There's been a lot of change over the weekend. Good morning. 
Good morning, PJ. There has indeed, PJ, and I think it caught us all a little bit on the hop on uh, Friday afternoon. We did get a sense that there was something developing maybe in the afternoon, but uh, we weren't aware what until uh, we heard from the Minister's office on uh, Friday evening, really, just letting us know that we were moving to level three when it came to higher education institutions right across the country, PJ. Yeah. So what are the changes? I mean, you were supposed, you had a TAS plan, if you were, uh, set out. That's all changed now, isn't it? It is indeed, PJ, and in fairness to, to, to all my colleagues here, and indeed particularly to our students as well, not just here, but in all the institutes of higher education, including our neighbours in, in UCC next door, we all had a lot of uh, preparation done. We had safeguards in place to look after our students, our, our staff, and indeed listening to Catherine, conscious as well of, of our neighbours and their needs themselves. So what is really happening, PJ? Nothing major for us in one way about the teaching and learning because we had um, migrated a lot of our classes online anyway so students had been informed that uh, a large percentage of their classes would be delivered online where that is possible unfortunately it's not possible right across the spectrum so you have students who may have lab-based subjects uh, you'll have students who would have to participate in various workshops or on-campus activity and they are going to continue PG at the moment they have been allowed to continue itself so any changes that will be brought in will be communicated to the students over the next while. The majority of our post-year one students started last Monday and our first years are due to start next Monday, which yeah. is the 5th of uh, October. But the other changes primarily will be around, for example, the social activity on campus. So clubs and societies really are postponed during this period. Yeah. Is there a freshers' week this week, Dan? No, not here, PJ, because um, our freshers, as such, which are our first-year students, don't arrive back on campus the next Monday. But we're not having a freshers' week, um, and PJ, in the sense that our students' union have been very, very clear around that, that our students uh, may be back on campus, some of them next week, but the majority won't be because their lectures will be delivered um, online, PJ. Okay. All right. What about people who've paid uh, rent or deposits for accommodation? What's your advice to them? Because obviously they won't be able to come up now with everything changed. That, that, that's an interesting PJ, and I suppose that could be dictated a little bit by what the government are going to do for Cork City and County in the next number of days, PJ. So if we move to a level three, and, and I, I don't know if that's going to happen, PJ, but signposts seem to be pointing in that direction at the moment. We would be advising students that only come on campus when you need to come on campus for lab-based workshops and for um, various other workshops that you might be advised are taking place on campus itself. Other than that, we would advise students to, to stay at home and take your work from there. However, PJ, I'm really aware that we have students who live in areas of, of Cork and Kerry and Waterford where they, they're not able to get broadband to have very poor Wi-Fi facilities. And some of them find it easier to come here to Cork and to come to their student apartment or to their accommodation where they have better Wi-Fi itself. But I would be suggesting that for a lot of students who may feel that having paid their, for accommodation, we have generally given the advice in the last number of weeks that students will be here for a max of one to two days per week. Yeah. That's mainly across the board, PJ. They are some classes, PJ. For example, our apprentice students begin this morning. They have to be here. Our students, for example, in the Department of Tourism and Hospitality have a lot of hands-on workshop-based. And while they are, it's impeccably being operated, they may be here for three or four days 
in a week. But I would be suggesting that if you um, are staying, if you are staying at home, maybe have accommodation got that you might speak to the provider. We don't have on-campus accommodation here, PJ. We yes. have accommodation that's nearby that people use. And certainly I would say to a lot of students, I think, have made the decision just to commute up and down when they have classes. I know more of them have become aware that they have no classes at all. So we'll engage fully online. All right. Okay. Listen. Stay safe, everybody out there. Dan, I know you've tens, you've thousands of people uh, going to CIT these days. It's a much bigger place than when we all knew it as the regional tech a hundred years ago. But it's a massive college now, as is UCC. So let's just hope that it all goes ahead safely. Uh, let me do those numbers for you now. Let's just talk about what we're dealing with because Paddy was accusing me of trying to scare people by saying, "Look, you're not a public health official and all that." I'm not. I'm not a public health official. Uh, but I'm a, a keen observer of the numbers and, and I don't want to see us going back to where we were back in April and May. Paddy says, you're not a health official. You should not be calling for level three. It's scaremongering and it's frightening old people. Well, you see, Paddy, have a listen to the numbers. The numbers don't lie. So as of this morning, as of this morning, September 27th, our 14-day case numbers in Cork, and you'll know now I've been doing this for quite some time this way. Our 14-day case numbers in Cork are 366. That's the 27th of September. That's 73 cases per 100,000 population. All right? 366 in 14 days. Go back to August last month. We had 42 14 day, our 14-day case number on the 27th of August was 42. In July, our 14-day case number on the 27th of July was 15. In June, it was three. Yes, three. Or a hundred times worse in three months, in two months, in fact. In May, the 27th of May, our 14-day case number was 208. That was as we were just starting to come out of the lockdown. Do you remember that? Let's go back into the lockdown. This is the figure that I checked and I rechecked. On April 27th, when we were in mid-lockdown, our two-week case number on April 27th was 307. Our two-week case number this morning, September 27th, is 366. Our two-week case number on this very day, my friends, is higher than it was in mid-lockdown. That's why I'm saying the sooner we do something about it, the better. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. Now, there have been a lot of communions, lovely pictures, great pictures over the weekend. And I actually met a communion family myself in Douglas on Saturday afternoon. It was just mom and dad and the communion boy. And I thought, it's lovely, but it's a little bit sad too that they can't have, you know, whatever celebration they were planning. But you know what? Those are the times in which we live. Kate says, Reardon's and other places on Washington Street are still having events for students this week and they shouldn't be doing that. A texter says there was a huge communion party in the north side with a marquee. A load of them have tested positive. Well, that's what you say. I don't know that for sure, but I I take your point. Uh, I was in the lock in Centra and I couldn't get in because of a crowd of people waiting to get in at quarter past nine 
A guard said to me, why in the name of God do they not cancel it? They don't need this. It was impossible for the guard to do anything, but distancing was not been observed in the queue. I think personally in the next weeks it'll go up sixfold. But however, look, hold on. Let me go up to this one. I'm fuming at Beth, says this message. Two funerals of loved ones who passed suddenly had to be attended by literally invitation only. Imagine that was with, imagine that. I was with my sister when she passed, but we could only go in near the end of life. Our son has been diagnosed with a rare condition. He's doing great, but we've no idea what ahead of us, what's ahead of us. All of this in five months. So selfish. Just cancel Freshers Week. Any house parties will kick them out of their rented accommodation or off their course. They're breaking the law. I'm so upset here. I don't want to come on to talk, says Gillian. I'm too upset. UCC accommodation has no parties and visitors allowed. Why can't we get the same rights as residents? Beth has a very millennial attitude to COVID. Poor us. Go out, get a job and experience life instead of whimpering, but not being able to see their little friends. Well, that's a bit cruel, but I get your point. I do get your point. Um, right, Graw says, why are students getting an absolute bashing about house parties? I don't dispute that they do hold house parties. Why aren't you concentrating on the adults who are hosting communion parties, the adults who are hosting house parties? You can't call out one section of society and marginalise them. Call out every single part of society and ask them all to be responsible. Beth spoke in a great manner, and I'm not a student, far from it. I'm a mother of my thirties. Beth had a valid point. Case numbers are rising before students came back to the city, and the students coming back haven't caused num- numbers to rise. Yes, student house parties will contribute to it, but so have adults who have had gatherings in their homes, re-communion parties, birthday parties, etc. There has to be accountability from everybody, and not one single sector of society. Give a point, Graw, but it's bordering on aboutery, unfortunately, that's the thing. But let's go to Tim Brosnan, because Tim says, look, we have to do something else about the communions. A lot of communions that were cancelled in May, all of them, in fact, are being rescheduled now. They're being done a different way, and they're no big parties that I've seen anyway. Tim, good morning. Hey, good morning, PJ. Are um, you seeing parties around the place where you are? I- I did, yeah, and I suppose what brought it home to me, PJ, was I was listening to the teacher on Friday on 96, uh, and I was passing uh, a church, and there was a huge number of people in there and to the communion, obviously. And then the headline on the uh, Irish Independent was the uh, medical officer for the North West, which is up in Donegal, saying that communions and the way they're being celebrated was actually seriously contributing to the numbers up there. And I think we just have to stand back and start doing things a little differently. Um, For example, the communion could take place in the school where all the children would receive the sacrament. And they could follow up with separate and individual uh, celebrations as part of their birthdays or something. Something could be done to stop the congregation of people happening at all these events. And there then is huge social pressure around communions to spend money and to... Mm. And, and, and that, that unfortunately like they're an important event day. in a young person's life Tim and an awful lot of people were mm. very disappointed and sad at the mass cancellations of communions and confirmations and confirmations have been had uh, again this season now this last couple of weeks and months haven't heard so much uh, concern about those but communions certainly a lot of people are very concerned about communion parties but communions, yeah, and I mean, PJ, it, it tends to be a scenario where grandparents are then invited back to the house afterwards, and you know, it's become an adult social event rather than a child's receiving their first holy communion. Yeah. I mean, I can remember my first holy communion, 
but I can't remember the people I met. It's not so... It, the sacrament and receiving it will stay with you. But whether you'll ever remember the people you met or who gave you what, you might remember the sum total of the money you got. But you're not... Like, they're creating events so that they can all get together, as adults, and the kids get the bouncy castle. Which, which in normal system. times, Tim, and, you know, I'm not going to be a hypocrite, I've been yeah. to communion parties, and you're right, they've turned into a great day out for the adults, and on a nice May day in the sunshine, they can be great. We don't live yeah. in those times right now. We don't, and it's not about the adults. It's about the children and, and, and their celebration. And, you know, there's a, even in normal times, PJ... I have an issue with the amount of money that gets spent yeah. on communions that the focus is not on the religious aspect at all and that's gone. Mm. Now, I'm not dictating or I'm not suggesting to anybody what the answer is, but I think people have to find answers and we have to find answers pretty fast this week and just on the, on the whole student thing as well. I mean, isn't it far better? And I supported 96 when you started your campaign back in early February and I support you now and say it is better for us to adopt a, a lockdown on a basis three now ourselves voluntarily rather than wait for Nessa to do it next Friday night. Right. And if we do it now as the TC said on Friday, there is a possibility that the numbers may not justify it being imposed on us. We've got to be masters of our own destiny and that's part of the psychological suffering that people are going through at the moment. They feel they're not in control but it's time to take control and introduce for ourselves the norms that are being asked of us and do it enthusiastically and we will avoid it on Friday, I have no doubt, if we do that. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think we'll avoid it on Friday, Tim. I, I, I don't share your optimism looking at the numbers this morning, but I do take your point. And thank you for it. Siobhan in St. Luke's thinks Tim is right about making our own arrangements. We cancelled meeting friends over the weekend as we're so conscious of not meeting anyone unnecessarily. Yeah? The other thing, of course, is if your child wants to receive their first Holy Communion, and if you want your child to receive their first Holy Communion, they can get it at any Sunday Mass. Just make arrangements with the priest, and the priest will organise it. It was never a big thing. So if you really are that interested in your youngster getting their first Holy Communion, well, just ask the local parish priest... And they'll only be too delighted to do it for you. Bernie was listening to Beth from the Students' Union. You're not happy, Bernie? Good morning. Uh, good morning, Peter. No, I'm not happy. I'm angry. I think, you know, it's a very, very selfish act to go ahead with Fresher Week. The students, they just think of themselves. Right during the summer, we had up in Dublin, down in West Cork, down in Kerry, right across the country, young people going out, up in, up in the west of Ireland, out on the beach, you know, and it, 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 something should have been done then. Yeah. Something should have been done then. They're not the only ones. Every one of us are after making sacrifices. You know, I wanted to go to John Kennedy's funeral during the week. I couldn't because yeah. of that. I really would. I, I, I was on... Oh, that would have been that would have been one of the biggest funerals in Cork this year. Would have been I, John I Kennedy's funeral. Really I really wanted to go. I mean, I was on, I was on different groups with John, you know? Yeah. And I couldn't go. And we all had to make sacrifices because of the guidelines, you know? Yeah. And I, I'm the person that, that asked you to pay the request for my friend's 100th birthday last Thursday. Ah, I hope she's, I I, hope she's good. I hope she's in good form. She's good. And, you know, but I sat down here at home and I cried my eyes out. But yet, I know I couldn't do it. It couldn't go because she's too vulnerable. Yeah. And it was a huge sacrifice to make. Yeah. So when I hear students with freshery, they don't have to have it. Please, please, I'm begging yeah. them. They yeah. can't do it. 
because, you know, if we go into phase three, which we could, you know, I'm living on my own, going out to meet. I meet, I have two contacts in the week, Peter. I'm keeping my contacts so low. Yeah. Two contacts in a week. Uh, and I keep two days in between them. And I have just a cup of tea and come back home. I know. And do my shopping. And I'm so glad to be able to get out and meet those people. I know, and 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 I can see why you'd be dreading a move, a move to phase three, and hoping that it and it wouldn't happen. And look, Neffet will make the decision, not me. And then we'll have to thank you so much, Bernie. We we Neffet will make the decision, not me. And then it'll go through all the committees and the subcommittees and all the talking shops, and eventually the Taoiseach will or the ministers will announce something on maybe Friday by which time we could have another couple of hundred cases. In fact, we probably will have a couple of hundred cases. Oh, here we go. Phil on Cove is on. PJ, will you listen to yourself? Our cases are worse this morning than when in lockdown in April. Yes, of course our numbers are higher. Schools, restaurants, pubs, shopping centres, churches and most workplaces were closed in April. GEA, rugby, soccer and basketball training and matches weren't happening. So it's inevitable that the more things open... And the more things get back to normal, then the numbers will go up as more people are interacting with each other. If the numbers weren't going up, there would be something wrong. Please stop scaremongering and go to the, go by the hospital admissions and ICU numbers, which are going up but aren't skyrocketing, says Phil in Cove, who's been missing the point that everyone's been saying Sam McConkie's been saying it. Jack Lambert's been saying it. They've all been saying it. Catherine Motherway from Limerick was on the radio this morning saying it. Because the ordinary numbers go up, inevitably... In time, it takes time. The ICU numbers will go up. The hospital numbers, the death number will, will go up. So when you see the daily numbers going up, that in itself is obviously to be explained. But it's the hospitals, the ICUs, they will go up in the fullness of time. I've been listening to all these people for long enough now to know, Phil, that they are generally right. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I can't understand why, with case numbers rising, the government won't just close all the off licenses, or some of them, or some in specific areas, and also stop supermarkets from selling alcohol. It would stop all this. Well, it wouldn't if it didn't close the pubs as well, and the restaurants and everywhere else. I don't want to go back to lockdown. I certainly don't want the off licenses closed. I never want the off licenses closed for many reasons. <sighs> Lucy says, Beth would want to get over herself with her poor us attitude. I'm fuming listening to her. My mother-in-law died suddenly in April. She died alone because we weren't allowed in. My brother-in-law couldn't come home from Sweden for her funeral. We spent six months locked in our house with two severely autistic children who regressed drastically because they'd no routine and they want to send us all backwards again so they can have some fun. Hi PG, I live in Douglas Street. We're awake half the night with young people having a Uli on the streets. There was one or two piddled right up at my windowsill during the night. Empty glasses from pubs and bottles on both windowsills. So now it's not only the magazine road residents are fretting. I'm the first person to be out having a good time. But for God's sake, this is ridiculous. I've asked my son to come stay for a few nights this week as I'm nervous about the crowds and not a gather in sight. And that's from Jackie. 1850 It's not looking good. It's not looking good, numbers-wise. And every time I hear people trying to explain away the numbers as being inevitable this and inevitable that, I'm listening to the voices that I've been listening to since day one. Sam McConkie, Jack Lambert, Jerry Killeen, Catherine Motherway, many, many more. 
knee of the paediatrician in the bonds whose second name escapes me at the moment. All of these people have been warning since day one. And they've been right since day one. Let me just get one thing very, very clear here. I don't have a particular thing against students or student house parties. At the moment, anybody having any kind of a house party outside of the very strict limitations of a gathering that we have is an idiot. So across the board, across the board, there should be no house gatherings of any kind other than the three or four you're allowed at the moment. And then you've got to keep them socially distanced and preferably sit in the garden, which is getting increasingly more difficult to do. Mary, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, PJ, I'm just on there. Like I, You're talking there about the students. I heard there that the new bar in the, in the college is closed. Mm. That is a huge space that could have been set up safely, social distance, and let students, especially the ones who, for some reason or another, who have had to come to Cork, it's their first time, they're starting freshers, why would that not? Why are they forcing students into existing bars that may not be you know, um, exclusively students? In this way, if they had that bar open, they could bring the students in there. They'd be mixing with the people that they're mixing with during the week at their lectures. I also know as well that there's huge discrepancies with sporting activities, um, what they will and will not allow in college, which is discriminating against some teams. Teams at lower levels aren't being allowed to train, whereas the higher ones are. Mm. They're all students. They should all be treated the same and being given the same access to whatever facilities UCC are offering or able to offer at this time. Mm. I was down in Curry's at the weekend. Every student now has to go get laptops, get set up so that they can have this first. That's not that easy for parents. They're sound, making it sound as if it's... You know, I should just, we're going online. Yeah. Like, that involves an awful lot of expense for an awful lot of parents. No, no, I'm not disputing any of that, Mary, not for yeah, a second. But, like, how come, like, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Ryan Tuberty was on that advertising for his toy show. Yeah. Auditions. I'm sorry, how do, how do people think they're going to come about? Yeah. Uh, like, are they doing single Presumably you said they're, they're getting people to send in tape or video yeah, or whatever. Yeah, but how are they going to make them? How are yeah. they going to practice for them? All over the country there's probably groups getting together already um, this morning. Oh, he said himself, in either, either, either on radio or television in the last week or so, he's never seen such interest in it. Absolutely. How are they? And every one of those children, because they will all be children, will have a parent involved. Have you seen a school gate lately? The children in school seem to be, in the school seem to be fine, the parents outside it. Yeah, we get calls about that, all right? You know, it's just absolutely bizarre. Would they, the students um, have been told that if they have house parties or attend house parties, they will be expelled from UCC. Mm. Well, they can be. It's, it's the... Oh, well, oh, well who's yeah. going to take that chance? Yeah. You know, it's just absolutely bizarre. Mind that you, that's not new, by the way. There is a code of behaviour in the college. So not, Sorry, not for having a house party. Yeah. Well, if it's, if it's in breach of, a, of an instruction, then you can be. Well, yes, but there hasn't been, in fairness, no, it's never uh, there hasn't been it's an never instruction happened. against house parties until. Now, and I can totally appreciate where people... But, like, why should a group of 
fellas, you know, middle-aged men coming off the golf course be able to go into a pub and stay there drinking for the night and a student can't even play their sport in the first place and have a few drinks with their friends. Well, if we go to level three, just interestingly, if we go to level three with regard to sport, the only matches that can take place are inter-county or, or um, club championship or professional matches in soccer and rugby or, or horse racing and all behind closed doors. So pretty much everything below those levels will be cancelled if we go into level three. That doesn't seem to be what's happening in Dublin, though. Dublin is Dublin is Dublin. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Dublin. but they're at level three. They, yeah, they I should be. They should no everything. I'm I'm being facetious. Everything should yeah. be cancelled up there. I, I don't think it is. I mean, they're not. Like it's a piecemeal kind of thing, keeping certain groups happy that have been dancing up and down. Maybe that's half the reason, Mary, we're in such trouble is we've been Absolutely. trying to keep people happy. You know, the government have been trying to keep people happy and trying to keep their themselves politically politically clean through all of this. Exactly. You know, absolutely and. You know, I think sport, like kind of thing, you know, cancelling, especially the student sport, is is not really. If people, some like, if if other people are able to play the sport, unless the sporting organise, unless the government actually can, because different sporting organisations are doing their own thing as well. You know what I mean? The, well, I just got a message in about a match out the country there over the weekend and a big attendance. There's not supposed to be anybody at matches at the moment. Or, hang on, we're, we're still in level two so you can have a 50 or 100. You can, yeah. yeah. And, not and, all but there's, place. you know, there's more than that like kind of thing at all these matches and they're standing outside the wire and they're climbing it. And they're, so you, you reckon, know, you reckon the students are getting a raw deal? They are getting a raw deal, like kind of thing. We, we have proof in the numbers over the summer that they did not call... There were the supposedly wild house parties mm. that were going on in College Road all summer didn't cause this. The groups of students living together didn't mm. cause this. That's a fair, that's a fair point. That's and a very fair you point. You know, it's, it's not. How many times are they going to be blamed for and being... It's since they moved out of those houses that the, that the cases have shot Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Back to, you know what I mean? They were all together. They were with their peer group and it made total sense. It didn't cause it. It didn't cause the rise in numbers that they were all prophesizing all no, long, it does take a couple of weeks. It again. does take a couple of weeks for a case to seed and become a confirmed infection. So, like, it, there, there could be some connection. There, absolutely. There, there's also some connection with the primary school kids going back, with the secondary school kids yes, going back, yes, with every yes, other, yes. with the communions, the confirmation. Oh, well, what do you think they should do? Post. What do you think should happen, Mary? Should we be locked down again? Listen, we should have just bitten the bullet. Do. Nothing. I mean, I will live off tin food for two weeks and sit in my... I'll social distance my own family if it comes to it. Just do it. Do it right. Do it once and do it right. Now, maybe the time has passed for that. I don't know. But do it once and do it right was the only way Buc- to... Buckle down, buckle down hard for a couple of weeks. Buckle down hard, get rid of it and just move on. All right. Mary, thanks. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. You'll be reporting out with regard to the rising case numbers, which I gave you. We now are at a 14-day figure in Cork of 366 cases. That's 73 cases per 100,000 of population, up from 42 in August 27th, 15 July 27th, 3 on June 27th, 
and 208 on May 27th and back into our lockdown days in April when we had 307 cases in the two weeks leading up to the 27th of April in mid-lockdown. So we have a very, very serious situation developing in Cork. People are saying, well, this is interesting that it's happening just after the schools went back. And yes, the schools all went back at the end of August, Stoke start of September, and we've mentioned cases in schools and maybe even been a cluster in a, in a school or two. The point is, the way we've opened up again as society is collectively to blame for this. The cases are going up because we are opened up. We've opened everything up and tried to get back to normal. But we can't be normal for now. That's the unfortunate truth. We can't do normal schooling. We can't do normal college. We can't do parties. We can't do normal weddings. We can't do normal funerals. We can't get our surgeries. Those of us who are waiting for surgery on what they call an elective basis or a scheduled basis. How many thousands of those operations have been put off because of all of this? Sarah, good morning to you. Morning, how are you? Good. What did you want to say? My thing is, I think it's very unfair to blame the college or the student union of having an online freshers week. Like we've other things in Cork where we haven't, where have went online, um, like other events, like the one that you were uh, talking about last week. I think it's Heritage Week or something like that. Yeah. Um, oh, Culture Night. Yeah, Culture Night. That's going online. So, like. Why is it that the college is getting the brute of it when really they're going online and they're going to be saying to everyone not to be having house parties, not to be doing this, not to be doing that, when the same individuals, whether they be fresher week online or not, they're going to be doing it. They're going to be going off and having house parties anyway. Yeah. The president of the college has said, it's in the paper this morning, that anybody having house parties when they've been specifically told not to, could be expelled from college. Yeah, and, you know, like, I don't know, I think these individuals are going to do what they want anyway. They're going to go off and, let's be honest, not listen to anyone and live life the way they want to live it. Mm. Isn't that the problem, Sarah? Oh, it is. Living entirely for themselves and not giving a tuppany toss about the rest of us. Oh, it is. But, like... You can't give out Bill Freshers Week being online and blaming that. Yeah, that's individuals' own, like, that's their own thing. They're doing that themselves. It's not against, it's not just because the Fresher Week is online. Like, realistically, think about it. Fresher Week is opening up for all the younger kids, that are, or all the younger students, yeah. now adults, students coming into first year to feel like they're a part of college. Like, you have to remember so many things are taken away from them. They don't get a debt. They don't, uh, they didn't even get to sit down and do an actual leave insert. Um, they didn't get to graduate really. Like, so why can't they have something online to make them even feel like a part of going to college? Yeah. Or that would be. It's, it's, it's a valid argument, like you said, they didn't have a graduation, they didn't have a debt, they didn't even get to sit the exam. But put that up against people who didn't get to go to their loved one's funeral or had to cancel their oh, wedding. And I guess that I'm not like I live next door to my uh, grandmother who's 84. Don't get me wrong, I understand all that. I I sympathise with that, but it's not putting something online is not blaming and yeah. blaming it. Um, house parties is going to make cases rise. Yeah, house parties are 
but that's individual. It's not like the college and student union aren't saying not to. You can't blame them. And so if cases rise... Well, to, to be fair uh, to the student union, they are discouraging people. They are advising people not to have big house parties. They have no power I mean. to stop it. That's what I mean. Like, But you have people coming on there. It just kind of... It got to me a little bit. People coming on there going, please just don't st- don't do Freshers Week. Don't do this. Why? It's online. Yeah. You know, it's not like they're going... They're, it's not like they're bringing people out like they usually would, you know, or having different events in the college. They're doing it online. Yeah. They're not telling people, oh, everyone go on to the Wi-Fi in such and such a house and bring drink. See, that's what that that's the fear that people have, Sarah, that that's what will happen, that there'll be some kind of a Freshers' Week event. Say, for argument's sake, now a band will have filmed a video or will be setting themselves up to, to, to stream online or, uh, perform, and you could end up with 20, 30 people watching it on, on a laptop in someone's house. Yeah, but that's individuals. It's not as if the college is insane not to do that. That's yeah. my point. People, I, I don't get me wrong. I get it. I'm being so cautious myself due to my, my own grandmother and yeah. my daughter is high risk as well. I'm being so cautious myself. Like, how, who, did, who did you see in the past week now, Sarah? And if you tell me, I'll tell you. Who did you see? Nobody. Other than my daughter and my grandmother who lives like 14. Yeah. You're, you're better than me. I see my workmates when I come in here. I obviously see my family. I saw my mother and one close friend. I've literally been at home. I've brought my daughter to school, but I don't stop and talk. I drop her off and go. And that's it. Other than that, we're trying to be as careful as possible. Like, Yeah, Yeah. I think a lot of people are. I'm not getting credit for it, and you should get credit for that. Sarah, thank you. 1850-715-996. Any chance, lads, you could print that one that's on the top there for me. It's a bit too long to read. Uh, And we've other bits and pieces to be doing. I'm going to come back to this, but there's been a good jobs announcement for Cork this morning, and it's probably about time we concentrated on something like that for a few minutes at least. 1850-715-996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With the indoor self-service laundrette now at the Junction Supermarket Vickers Road. Every day, washing and drying done within an hour. Self-service laundry.ie Question number 10. Finish this movie title Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Laura, what's your full name? Laura Kennedy. And you're from? Glenville. You've won 2,000 no euros. No Oh, that's unbelievable. That's how you do it. Well I actually done, can't believe Laura. it. Hello. Your, Hello. Your mummy has just won loads of money. Loads of money. What do you want? A daddy. Another winner. There you go. Go, go. The two grand minute. Listen to play at 7:40 and 8:40 every day. Casey and Ross in the morning on Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now 1850-715-996 on Corks 96 FM. I will come back to COVID and gatherings and what might happen to us this week in Cork. I I think it's almost inevitable now if the numbers keep going the way they're going. Now remember, the numbers you get on Monday are not reliable. So it'll be Tuesday before we get reliable numbers again. The numbers are not looking good at all. 
On the plus side, we had a fairly significant job announcement um, coming from a company called Green Marine Rebel. Piers Flynn, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Right, Green Rebel Marine is a new business. What is, what is it? What do you do? And where are all these jobs coming from? Um, PJ, it's all based on the uh, big push for renewable energy. So there, there's a goal to have by 2030, five gigawatt of uh, power coming from offshore wind. So what we're doing is Green Rebel Marine is going to be a services company for that industry. So we've purchased the Crosshaven Boatyard and um, we're bringing in two uh, new big vessels to help with the, the start of that process. So that's where we're, we're coming from. Now, you won't be generating the, the offshore power. You'll be maintaining the platforms. Is that it? No, we're, we're, we're actually going to go start the whole, I mean, the platforms won't be uh, off the east coast. The, 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 these uh, wind farms are going all the way from Dundalk right around the whole of the east coast, down the south coast, up as far as points. There's where the applications for wind farms are at the moment. Okay. Some of these wind farms, PJ, are like 240 metres high. They'll be 60 to 70 miles off offshore. So uh, it's going to take a skill that's not available anywhere. So we're really hoping to turn... Cork into the into the centre of excellence for floating wind farms. This is stuff I saw demonstrated in models down at the Marine College. God, it must be ten years ago now. So, yes. it's it's about to come to fruition. It is. Yeah, the the cost of energy uh, of uh, renewable energy is coming down dramatically. There was an announcement uh, yesterday from uh, the the Chinese Prime Minister that China is going to decarbonize. So it'll probably come down even faster now if they're getting involved. But uh, it's really important, I think, that we build Irish skills. So otherwise, I think these jobs will be provided by, by foreign companies. What kind of jobs are on offer? Who are they for? Uh, we've already, uh, so we, we, we've everything from scientists. We've already hired uh, two scientists from UCC. Um, they, these will, they will be for the survey vessels, which will be mapping the seabed floor to help get with the planning permissions. We're going to have mariners and then uh, we're going to help during the construction with boats to provide for that. And then once they're built, the operating and maintenance will be contracts that will go on and on for years and years into the future. So we will be providing those services right through the life cycle of the, of the projects. And how will these platforms work? I mean, will, they be, will they, they be completely remotely operated or will there be just boats going in and out or will people actually live there? No, it's interesting, BJ, because I think people's experience with wind farms are these ones are at the side of a hill, which probably, other than the construction, don't give a lot of employment. Yeah. What's happened with offshore wind, BJ, is that there's examples right in the east coast of England, up in Scotland, towns like Wick, Eyemouth, Fraserburgh, where the local community has been transformed. So not only are we planning to have jobs in Crosshaven, which will be our, our, our headquarters, we will be have jobs right across the whole country. You don't live on the platforms. They, they are controlled remotely, but they have to be maintained. And they, you know, and because they're huge, like 240 meters and they're floating in 60 miles offshore. Wow. So it, it is, it is, it is a, a quite an undertaking. I mean, to give people a perspective, they're as high as the Eiffel Tower. And how many windmills or is it windmills they would have? Uh, they, they, it varies by the side, but, but a lot of them will be will be farms in the east coast, maybe uh, forty or fifty in a in a particular setup. In the east coast, um, 
they're fixed because the water is shallow. So the biggest concern there will be people having line of sight of them. But for the south coast and probably the west coast, with floating, they will be so far out. They'll be out as far as the gas fields that are already there and beyond. Crazy. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's going to be it's a hell of an exciting industry. Massive job of engineering. Come here, a belly cotton man. I am, yes, yes. Do you get back much? I, I'll be back, and, and it was really coming back and seeing uh, the opportunities. Uh, I, I built a house in Ballycotton. I, I was away for in the UK and America for for the last 20-odd years, uh, and so I'm kind of coming back and, and hopefully... Is that uh, your big place up on the cliffs? That's your place uh, up yeah. on the cliffs. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's it, yeah. Some fella done well there, I said the last time I saw it. Some, some lad done well there. <laughs> Uh, not, not bad for a priest with a small parish, you know. <laughs> and telecoms was your industry originally, wasn't it? Yeah, I've been involved in a, in, in, in a few things. Uh, uh, so I worked in large corporations, PJ. So then for probably the last 15 years, I've been uh, doing my own companies and uh, buying companies, uh, mainly in the UK. Very good, very good. And are you, are you putting a few bob back into Betty Cotton? Yeah, I think uh, Ballycotton is, uh, you know, it, when you go away from it, you, it's so so beautiful. And uh, so we've uh, done a bit with a car park and a playground for the local community. We've done a big venue, which obviously we were trading for 12 days before COVID came and, and shut that down. Uh, so we uh, revamped uh, the uh, the old Protestant church in the village. So that's uh, now going to be a venue at a big restaurant. So uh, in time, you know, it's uh, we're, we're really trying to bring back uh, you know, sustainable. And this this story as well, I, I think it's going to transform, you know, communities that where I think fishing is is really going to struggle, and I think they're struggling to get Irish people engaged in fishing industry. So I think there'll be different kinds of jobs coming Excellent. off the wind farms. For, for, for fishing communities all around the coast. Kate has a very interesting question here, which is an obvious one. How do these things handle storms? Yeah, that's the obvious question. They, they, they're tested. There's actually um, two of them. There's only two floating wind farms in operation right now. One is off uh, off of Scotland. So if it lands on the north coast, the west coast of Scotland, it'll handle offshore here. And there's one off Portugal. And, and Portugal, obviously is famous for its big waves in terms of for people in the windsurfing but they're designed uh, they're floating they're anchored to the to the to the bottom uh, but the actual platform itself floats so you can imagine 60 miles off the boat is moving and the platform's moving so there's going to be there's a hell of a lot of engineering yeah. uh, involved No in I, I think the fear people would have appears and I'm not trivializing it about <laughs> one of them big blades blown off a windmill Do you know I mean, in this thermophilia situation. Yeah, uh, yeah, that 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 could happen. I, I'm assuming they're testing, but I think PJ, the positive is we have an endless supply of wind. We yes. have a huge uh, maritime footprint, yes. and I think I think that this is great news for us as from decarbonizing climate change. So. But it's very early in the industry, and yeah. um, so it's it's exciting. And well, it's, it's a potentially massive but, industry, and now taking over a, a boatyard in Crosshaven, which in itself is a fabulous positive story, and and, uh, and great to talk to you about it. Uh, thanks very much, PJ. Cheers. That's Pierce Flynn from uh, Green Rebel Marine. It's a new industry. It's going to be... I saw the models for this in the Maritime College, and like I said, it must be 10 years ago.
And they're really exciting. Like you, these wind farms that you see up and down the country, they're a bit of a blight in the landscape in some places. In some places. They're going to take them out to sea where there's loads of wind. Loads of wind. And import the electric. Sounds like a great plan. 1850-715-996. And good to see you too. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With a solid fuel depot. Now located at the Junction Supermarket Vickers Road. Coal, gas, kiln dried wood and briquettes. For collection or delivery. Solidfueldepot.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. The 80s sci-fi classic with the Queen soundtrack, Flash Gordon, is going to have two screenings coming up at Tristel Christchurch on September 20th. 24th and 25th. Tickets have been selling fast, so those wishing to attend are advised to log on to the venue's website, triscolartscentre.ie. Access all areas. 2019 was a landmark year for Stephanie Rainey, seeing her cement replaced as a headline act, including a packed-out show at the iconic Cork Opera House. Stephanie's back now with a brand new single and the announcement of her next Cork show, set to take place in Cypress Avenue on February 20th next. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas Your guide to nightlife on the side On Cork's 96FM This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 0833 On Cork's 96FM 1850-715-996. want to go to Gerald Keefe from the Cork Taxi Council because the taxi drivers of Cork and indeed up and down the country are less than happy uh, with uh, how they're being treated throughout this pandemic. Gerald, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Now, it's been a while, my friend, since I was in a taxi because I'm just not out much at all. So, so what is the problem for driving a taxi these days? Well, at the moment, the pandemic is the main issue. Well, there's not enough work out there, as you know. We depend on bars and nightclubs and things like that, and people going to work. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're not going to work. And you've been told, please don't use public transport. So, where do you go from there? And, of course, you, do, you are classed as public transport. Oh, well, that's what we're paying our license for every year. But considering what they're telling us, the advice we got off, the only advice we got off them was wash our hands. Now, I have seen no, a lot of taxis with Perspex screens in them, and I know that some taxi drivers have been asking people to please wear a mask and you can only sit in the back. So it, it's, it's relatively safe to take a taxi at the moment, isn't it? I don't know how you can say that because the government don't know how we're spreading. They're saying it's by hands and droplets and things. But what if it's passed through the air, which more than likely it is? Hmm. We, we've been walking, taking people to walk. No, I haven't been because I have underlying conditions. Right. But my buddies and my colleagues have been taking nurses, doctors, patients for the dialysis, for the chemotherapy, if they have an accident. Mm-hmm. These guys are frontline workers. We're getting no respect at all from the government. We have three ministers, and who don't give a hint? You know the, the yeah. sentence yeah. goes with that. Yeah. But it's like this, and I'll say that. We've had about 70 drivers retire. They cannot sell on their place. We're the only self-employed people who cannot sell on their place. They can't sell on their business. I think that's against their constitutional rights. 
Because mm. there was a time when taxi plates changed money for huge chunks of cash. When not not anymore, though. No, sure you wouldn't get 2,000 for your plate, no. Yeah. But we put a scheme back to the NTA. The lads there who want to retire, sell them back for 6,500, and they can sell them on for 10,000. Mm. And the 3,500 they get it off of us, they can put it towards wheelchairs and things like that. Did you do school runs this morning before before this protest began? Yes, we were, and we were there to collect the children in the afternoon. Are you concerned about those runs? Well, if the kids don't go back to school, if there's a lockdown and the kids are gone again, what happens? We go back in the pandemic payment, which they've cost. Have you been on the pandemic, you have? I, I was on it from the 13th of March until three weeks ago. It's so you did your work. You're going out having your prot- protest, and you go back do your work again. So it's not exactly a strike, is it? No, we can't strike, TJ. They won't let us form a union because they're afraid of us. We have no official. What do you mean? You, what do you mean no. you can't form a? So you have a right to join any union you want. No, they won't let us form a taxi union. No, but you could join a union. Them. You could join SIPTO or join any one of those unions if you want to. But my God, if you think we're going to join SIP two, no, I just picked it. I just picked it out of the air. But I mean, you, no. you could you could join you could join a, a large trade union, maybe mandate or pick one of the trade unions, join it, and form your own branch. You could do that. We can, but they won't. They won't let us. They've mm. tried everything, and who, who anything won't let you? Stop. The government. They won't let us form a union or join a union. Taxi drivers. <clears throat> They're afraid. It's about time now that we were left to do what we're supposed to do. That's go out and drive vulnerable people to and from where they have to go. Right. So there's three services that people recognise. The fire brigade, the ambulance, and the guardie. Okay. Who's next on the line do they call? Who's the next person they're going to call? A taxi. Mm. We're out there 24-7, serving the public, doing our best to make a living. And every time we do something, some clown like Ryan comes along and enforces another issue. What, what, did, what did Eamon Ryan do to you? Well, he's, he won't let us sell on our players. Him and the previous government won't let the men who want to retire sell on their players. Mm. There's 70 men who gone off of this taxi industry in Cockle on this week. Right. They're too vulnerable. They had to go to work because they got nothing extra in the pandemic strike. All they had was their pension. These are men who are willing to go and walk, not sit on their asses and accept everything off the state. Yeah, yeah. Fergal is pointing out to me here, Unite is the trade union that taxi drivers generally join. Do you have a, a branch of Unite? Not in Cork. Not in Cork. So, see, it's all Dublin, Dublin. If anything happens in Ireland, it's in Dublin. Mm. And but Unite has a branch in Cork, doesn't it? You could form that branch? No. No. We have to go out to the streets ourselves. We're all independent drivers out here now today. Right, right. I know that you're, down, all, you're all self-employed, yes, yeah, yeah. And, if and you what, came down yeah. now, you see the, the League of Nations, and good luck to them. I welcome them to, the, to our uh, business. Yeah. And they, they're, they're down here now. There's blacks, whites, Pakistanis, Indians, whatever nation you want to. Yeah. 
We're here on protest together, united. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's become a very united industry. And, and a lot of our multicultural friends have joined the taxi industry. And, and it's very handy because they, they work long, hard hours like the rest of you. And it's always great to be able to get a taxi. But what is... Are you, are you threatening to withdraw your service other than stuff like, like schools? Well, we're not going to let the vulnerable suffer. That's the main yeah, thing. Okay. We will not let the vulnerable suffer. Right. So that's the first and foremost. So you, are you saying that you might not pick someone like me up, for example, on the side of the street on Saturday night? I'm not, not walking the streets. I'm not walking the streets, Peter. I do my school run and yeah. I go home. Okay, okay. If the work is not out there and I'm not going to put myself in danger. Oh, no, no. I, I wasn't personalising this, Jer. I'm saying, are people... Our, our fellas saying, well, we're not going to, we're just not going to do it. Oh, there's hundreds out there that won't do it. If you come down out to Skihar Road at the moment and you'll see the protest, if you want to send a reporter into Patrick Street there in the next hour, you'll see how many taxis are here this morning. How many have you gathered there? You're on Skihar Road driving into, how many have you gathered? Well, there's a couple of hundred here so far and I'm up wow. the front. Wow. And it, no, it's, it's, we were meeting by the pictures. Unfortunately, we overtook them, so we're on Ski Hill Road now. We're driving. We're coming down Ski Hill Road now, and Ski Hill Road is full of taxis as well. Right, I think Fiona's out there. Pardon? I think Fiona from the newsroom is out in that neck of the woods at the moment because she just sent us a photograph. Yeah, Yeah, well, if she stands now up by Mahan Shopping Centre, she'll see the amount. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The tax is going through there. Okay. But look, PJ, we mm. thank you for all the time you backed us up and everything. Oh yeah, no, listen, no doubt, no doubt in the world that you've been elected in this, you know? We've, the only... Do you know the advice we got off them? Mm. From the NTF, wash your hands. Yeah. Wash your hands. We didn't get a penny for sanitization or anything. Well, like well the first taxi I sat pocket. into, the first taxi I sat into after all this began, I was getting a taxi into town one afternoon and, and I knew the driver, so we had a, had a bit of a crack going in. But he said, Do you know where it is? Someone actually got into his taxi two nights previously and robbed his bottle of sanitizer. But, but that's what's out there, right? <laughs> And there's a screw down. They only do it for a laugh. They don't mean there's no malice in it. Like, we know that. Yeah. But anything we let on, that's for right this time. You know that, Joseph. Yeah. And are you allowed to enforce, like, are you allowed to enforce the wearing of masks now by passengers? No. No? No. But we can refuse them. And do you? Take the buses. Well, as I say, I'm not out there. I'm only doing my school But do your colleagues? Do your colleagues? They do. And one or two of them have been assaulted over it. Oh, really? Yeah. See, this doesn't go out in the air, like, the amount of assaults there that, we've, that we go through, a punch, you won't get it reported. The only things that get reported are the robbing, the stabbings. Right, so. Yeah. That has to go to the hospital. You don't hear about the punch you get off of her from the side of the road because you won't take him. Because, <laughs> unfortunately, there's not enough girls to deal with him. Yeah. And is it true now that no one can travel in the front seat? 
well, that's up to yourself. Right. I think most people aren't, though, are they? No. Yeah. 90% of people will sit in the back and they'll put on a mask, but you'll always have the odd dog out to that little... Yeah. You know yourself. So, so if, if I was the relevant minister on the phone to you, Gerard, what do you want? What can we do for you? All we want is transferability at the moment. Lads that are in the industry, when they retire, their play goes dead. Right. That's what we want to do with them, and we told them before. As I said to their previous, take our plate, give us back our 6,500, sell on the plate for 10,000, you're making 3,500 profit. Mm. You know, they took 45 million off us in 2012 when this NTA was formed. 45 million is a lot of money. Where, where did they get that off you? Or in licenses and this and that. When we pay for a license every year. And How much is the license these days? Uh, it's 150 now every year, but then you have to pay another 250 after the five year one. Right. My insurance went from 1100 to 2400 you tell me, how can they justify that? Mm. Mm. I, I had a wheelchair accessible bus. Yeah. And I had to give her up. Because they hiked my insurance from 2000 up to 9500 What? I couldn't. Yeah, that's what they want. I know that comes in now. They're being quoted eight to 10000 for a wheelchair accessible tax. That's it. People don't realise what we're putting up with. Like they're making rules up out of their heads. And and no help with that, like. No help. And as I said, we didn't get a penny back during this pandemic. Mind you, people ring up here all the time complaining about they can't get a wheelchair taxi. That kind of tells you why, doesn't it? Oh sure, that's it. Look, I'm I'm one of forty two to hand it back their wheelchairs. Forty two in Cork. Yep. Wow. So how can you like it it it, it doesn't pay us? Yeah. No, they brought out in law there now, PJ. When I had my wheelchair bus, I upgraded my bus. I went up eight years in it. Yeah. Now, that wheelchair bus was doing sudden helpboard work, I used to call it, sudden helpboard ah, work. Yeah. On Wednesday, I put my name on that Thursday, and it wasn't wheelchair acceptable. Why? Because they wanted me to put in an additional floor of seven and a half thousand. And yet I had people from the Irish Wheelchair Association in my bus saying there was nothing wrong with that bus. It was 100% safe. But then up in Dublin, they thought they need another floor. Seven and a half thousand for a floor. And six months later, they got rid of that law. But it was too late. There was 40 other us after passing in our wheelchair licenses. You're a very displeased bunch of workers at the moment, Ger. What, what, what way would you be, PJ? I, listen, I'm not disagreeing with you, fella. I'm not disagreeing well, with you. Well, like something you pick up off the ground off your shoe, man. Yeah. That's, that, that's all the, the help we get. Mm. So, and there's people out there now, and I'm sorry to say they're not out on the line. They've given up on us. They've just given up. Yeah. That they're, they're after putting 15, 60 years in this, into this industry, and they can't sell their place. You tell me what. Well, I, I'd love to know what the explanation for that law was, though. What was the plan? What was the idea behind that? We don't know. They never explained it to us. That's why we're trying to figure out why. Yeah. We're told nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing more frustrating than a law that's not explained to you. But that's 
that's the issue we're standing here by. Like, they're, they're bringing in laws to suit themselves whenever they want to. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. They can ch- with a flick of our fingers, they can change the laws. Yeah. You tell me now, the pub wants to sell his license, and they bring in the law. Or you can't sell it, and when you die, the bar closes. That's what they're actually doing to us. Sounds like they're, trying to, re- sounds like they're, they're trying to reduce to- the numbers of taxis on the road. That's it, yeah. They're taking them off, yeah. That's mad. Caller, the taxi driver here, uh, Ger, um, says things aren't half as bad as you're making out. He knows they're working, doing their school runs, and they get paid by bus errand. How many of them on that strike are being paid by bus errand and also getting the COVID? I worked all through COVID, says this driver, and got no PUP. Is it a strike or isn't it? They did their work, and then they go out. Caller says it worked for every base in Cork. It's gone at 10 a.m. All the school runs are finished. They couldn't strike at 8 a.m., at 8 a.m. but they'll strike at 10. I'm not too sure the point he's making. I think you're, you're kind of, he's accusing you of buttering your bread on both sides, as in you'll do your contracted work in the morning and then you're off for the day. Hang on one minute, no. That's misleading. I am one hearer who was under COVID payments from the 13th of March till three weeks ago when the schools reopened. I right. stopped claiming the PUP. Because you have to. Yeah. Exactly. So I don't know where. What's his name, Connor? Is he, it? he didn't give a name. He didn't yeah, give well, a name. tell him, don't judge every other taxi driver by his standard. Right. Okay. Because, no, I, I, I read it to you because I, I had figured that out. Because I remember the ads were running here that in the minute you went back to work, you had to inform the social that you were coming exactly. off the PUP. And, yeah. And any lad that is claiming the PUP has no sign on his roof. He's not walking. Yeah, okay. All right. Okay. Uh, I don't know. As I said, let, don't let other people influence you by their standards. All right. Ger, listen, good luck to everyone in that. And I think Fiona's out, out, out along there. She has sent us a photograph. It's a fairly, a fairly decent-sized protest. That's Ger O'Keefe from the Cork Taxi Council. And in fairness, it is very hard to claim and work because of metres. Work, if you're running the meter, you're working and they can see you're working. So it'd be very hard to claim and do, do both, even though you get the accusations. Kate says, my friend has a wheelchair taxi. The insurance is absolutely colossal. It can work out if you get a HSE contract. You have to be very careful to get the balance right. I think the taxi drivers do a great job. They face a lot of different types of people and they take it all in their stride. Another Kate says the online learning is lagging or crashing. You see, there's another problem. You're going online learning. That back to the colleges. It won't always work. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I say I've been in maybe what half a dozen taxis tops. It's not probably not even that since since March, since the lockdown started, and they all had a screen in them. Uh, and the taxis that I, I I wear carry a mask everywhere anyway these days. I'd always wear a mask in the taxi. 1850715996 Meg says she sympathises with Jar and his colleagues but to comparing themselves to an ambulance driver a fireman regard is a bit of a stretch is it not well, I'm sure they probably think differently Megs but your, your point is a valid one that Kilcully graveyard story was in the paper over the weekend I'll, I'll talk about it in the, in the next hour because there's an interesting comment there on the sentence and stuff handed down. But I wanted to come to Emma next because here's an interesting statistic and we've talked about this before. Some of the saddest calls we've taken uh, during the course of the pandemic have been from 
mothers and indeed fathers with regard to the restrictions in the maternity system. 150 babies are born every day in Ireland. Since March of 2020, pregnant women have been forced to avail of maternity services alone. No birth partner is allowed up until active labour or there are no visits allowed from anyone, including fathers, after birth. And this is from a Facebook page set up in support. It's called In Our Shoes, the COVID pregnancy page. Emma Carroll, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks, William, for having me on. Delighted. Now, the Taoiseach was in studio here on Friday. I was off, but Deirdre was interviewing the Taoiseach here on, on Friday, and he said there was a new document being drawn up with guidelines for the maternity hospitals, but it'll kind of change or alter on a case-by-case basis. Like, CUMH is, is, has got one of the strictest sets of restrictions in the country, and this document will do, will do nothing to, to ease them. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that has been half the problem across the country since March. Um, I mean, in terms of maternity care, it's been the least talked about um, sector of society. Um, We've seen everything else open up, you know, from shops to restaurants to pubs, um, other essential medical services coming back online now. And yet the maternity care has still been kind of left in the shadows. Um, and as you say, the Taoiseach have committed that a document is being prepared and we're delighted to hear it uh, being prepared by Peter McKenna. But the issue with it is the transparency of it. I mean, it seems like they're kind of scrambling at this stage. The pressure has come on and now they're just trying to get something out to say, look, we've looked at it. But we need transparency. We need to know how these decisions are being made and, you know, how decisions are, are um, finalised and this kind of thing. And in the interest of parents and their babies as well. well you, you had your own first baby in the middle of the whole lot of us, in the middle of lockdown, didn't you? Absolute peak, yeah. Congratulations. How, well, thank you very much. What, what, how, how different was it to what you had been expecting? Look, look the first thing I want to say is, um, you know, when it comes to birth and maternity care and all the rest of it, you can have a list of expectations and it flies out the window anyway. Um, so I'm very, I'm a farmer myself. Um, we just finished lambing season. I know things happen, everything changes, that kind of thing. But um, in terms of what I was expecting from the birth, nothing really, only the bare minimum, which was the support from my partner. And I can't tell you how hard it was to do it without him. Um, and not only that, but in the hospital afterwards, I mean, the, the staff are fantastic. They're under massive pressure. It's a very understaffed system. I mean, the IM, INMO have confirmed that I think it's somewhere between um, 40 to 50 patients per midwife, where the ratio should be less than 30 uh, per midwife, so they're extremely understaffed um, and it was very hard to even access care, to be honest with you, on the postnatal ward and I needed my partner there. Um, so so what standing. kind of, what what was the situation like? So you went in, to obviously, to have to have the baby. What were the restrictions? Um, so I actually gave birth up in Dublin. I'm from, I'm from Kildare myself. Um, I, basically, I hung on as long as I could at home, um, which was my plan anyway, to be honest. Um, and we flew up. My partner was getting a bit empty then for over an hour from the hospital. So we went up and fortunately they could confirm that I was in active labour, which was nice of them. And he was allowed to come in straight away. And now, fortunately, my baby is, she's the same now as she was then. She was in a very big rush to come out. So she was born within about an hour of me getting to the hospital. Um, I took a turn then. I was quite unwell. I couldn't hold her for an hour or two afterwards. So fortunately, my partner wasn't too much of a COVID risk, if you don't mind me saying, that he could stay and hold her for the the hour or two. Mm. Um, but then I got 20 minutes. We got 20 minutes as a family and he was booted out. And when did you see him again? Now, I, despite me being very unwell, um, I was dying to get home. So I discharged myself the next day, 24 or less than 24 hours out. When would you have seen him if you hadn't done that, do you think? 
I would say it would be upwards of, 20, of 48 hours, given that I was a first-time mother and the complications with the birth. Um, but I just couldn't. Like, I mean, I was on the ward by myself. I c- couldn't reach my baby in the crib, but I had to. There was no staff. Um, it was horrible now, to be honest. Even getting a shower, going to the bathroom, I had to leave her by herself. Her security tag had fallen off her ankle. And I remember I called the midwife to say, you know, is this, can you reattach this or something so I can go off if I need to? And she said, oh, it's fine, just leave it in the crib. And I just thought, oh God. So I couldn't leave her. So I just, I had, I had to get out. I didn't sleep a wink. Um, yeah, so it, it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Some people would say, you know, we've all lost out on yeah. important things. And, Absolutely. you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's very tough. But it's for the safety of the greater populace. Yeah, and look, fully agree. You know, I've complied with COVID regulations since they came in. I will do until we, until the time that we don't need to. Um, in terms of maternity, though, I mean, unlike different sectors of society, so we're looking, say, like I say, um, restaurants and pubs and that kind of thing opening, where you're looking at members of different households, um, and loads of them at, at, at the same time, congregating in the same area, breathing the same space. Um, you know, and we've been able to risk assess for that and allow that to open. All the women are asking for is a member who is generally, like most of the time, either a close contact or a member of their household to be allowed to stay with them after birth. And sorry, Emma, would you have been in a private room here? No, I wasn't. I was on the public ward. And I know there's a bit of an argument of people saying, oh, you know, you can't have that many people on the ward. Um, There are curtains between the wards. There was definitely two metres between me and the next bed. Um, My partner would have killed to be in beside me. He would have taken any tests needed. He would have suited up in a hazmat suit if he had to. Mm -hmm. Um, But that wasn't an option. Forgetting as well that whatever I carried in, so too did my partner. So my partner spread that to each and every staff member that came in contact with while he was in the room with me giving birth. And those staff members then came down to the ward with me. So we just can't understand the logic as to why... A, a woman is being left without critical support in the postnatal period and indeed the pre-labour period as well when she goes into hospital if she's not deemed to be in active labour she's left by herself again without any partner so we just can't understand Yeah, yeah. the strict restrictions in CUMH and they are among the strict, strictest we know about this yeah. particular document that they're uh, contemplating at the moment will leave the the decision with local management which kind of lets them do whatever they want sort of thing. So they don't have to be changing the rules at all. Do we need something more solid coming down directly from the health minister himself, do you think? I would absolutely think that we do. Now, I mean, every... There's 19 or do we need maternity. NEFET advice on this? Yes, we do. Absolutely. There's 19 maternity units across the country. I mean, each one is um, different in, depending on their geographic location, the services in the hospital, the layout of the buildings, all these types of things. And we're very cognizant of that. Like, we're not saying let open the doors and let everybody in yeah and, um, and sorry emma does does neffet have any policy on maternity hospitals they don't i think the latest comment from ronan glenn on that was that neffet doesn't have a position on it which is very disheartening for the There's 40 odd members in neffet could they not be asked by the minister for health to rec- recommend something on it could they not we would have hoped so yeah you know given that it, it is a very vital area it kind of feels like, and I'm saying here again, I mean, there's loads of areas of the health service that have suffered, aspects of society that have massively suffered. Yeah. Um, but, like, there's just, we cannot see the logic. Yeah. The pain and suffering being caused as a result of lack of action, it's just crazy. No, because I, I think the point needs to be made and made very loudly with yeah. regard to this. Neffet say they don't have a position. Yeah. Neffet 
is the government, is the body set up to have positions on these things and to inform government as to what the position should be. So if they haven't been asked for an opinion, why the hell haven't they been asked for an opinion? Exactly, and we can't understand it. And that's kind of what moved myself and Kier McGuane to set up the Facebook page. I mean, we're both, like, we're out of the, the maternity care system a while now. Kira had her baby in March. I had mine in April. Mm-hmm. And we kind of saw it in the news last week or the week before. And we kind of just both sat back and said, is this still happening? Yeah. Like, how are women still being subjected? Like, it was in the middle of lockdown when you had your baby. So yes, you know, there was I went something to be it. said for it then. Absolutely. Um, but like we've planned now, we've made living with COVID plans in which there's not one single mention of maternity. Um, it's just, it beggars belief. And like I say, the misery being caused is unbelievable. Nobody expects it to be as it was before. Nobody expects that. But there's a basic level, Actually, level of decency. Yeah, now that you mention it, that entire document, mm-hmm. that entire five-stage document with all the various zones in it, that they call the plan for living with COVID-19. Nowhere, anywhere in stage one to five is there a mention of maternity. Not one single mention. And it's particularly insulting when you look along um, and you see exactly what you can do per level. And yet you can't have your partner who you probably live with, if not you're very close with generally, accompany you um, and help look after you and your baby when you need it most, when that care is not available. Okay. It's just, it's, it's beggar's relief. It doesn't like, make a whole pile point. of sense to have no, no, no. no, no mention in there at all. Emma, I'm going to leave it there uh, for no reason other than time, but thank, thank you very much for that. That's Emma Carroll from the In Our Shoes COVID Pregnancy Facebook page. You'd, you'd have to ask the question, like if Neffet say they haven't got a position on it, they haven't got a position because they weren't asked for a position. Why weren't they asked? The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Coming up, we're big fans in Coogan Towers of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So my next guest has worked with him and says he's even bigger in real life. I'm interested to find out more about that. That's coming up in just a sec. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email opinion at 96fm.ie. We're inundated with pandemic-type comments and lockdown and COVID and numbers-type comments. I'll come back to as many of them as I can before the end of the programme today. Also noticed a court case there at the weekend. Liam Heaton was writing about it in The Echo, where a 34-year-old Cork man was jailed for smashing headstones at Kilcully Graveyard. Following a lengthy investigation, he writes that guard the Jamie O'Reardon arrested William O'Driscoll of no fixed address and charged him with causing criminal damage to three headstones on dates between late November 2019 and early January of this year. And the story goes on. His solicitor said he was pleading guilty to the charges and Donald Daly's solicitor said he was apologising unreservedly for the distress caused to the families of those who, with loved ones in the affected plots. We covered this story in some detail at the turn of the year. In fact, I went to one of the local activists' meetings out in the Commons just to sample for myself the level of upset, and there was an awful lot of it. Now, the solicitor stressed the serious mental health issues in William O'Driscoll's background, and the guards agreed that he had severe psychiatric issues. The defendants apologised, said he couldn't explain his actions, but said it shouldn't have happened, and he never meant to cause any distress or hurt for any family. The case goes on uh, for 
quite a, a long article there, but the caller says, why did they bring the person to court over Kilcully Graveyard if they weren't getting a proper sentence? There was a tremendous amount of money spent on security. The person who did all the damage is only getting a concurrent sentence with the one he's currently serving. I know there was mental health involved, but I know people who are stone mad and didn't do things like that. He got quite a short sentence and it's running, it's a couple of months I think he got, and it's, it's running in concurrently with another sentence that he's presently serving. That, unfortunately, caller, is just how the law works. That's all. That's just how the law works. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 83 Louisa Burton, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, PJ. And lovely to talk to you. And you, how are you? Good, good, good. Now, before I get on to things like dry skin and eczema and psoriasis, which is why you're here to talk to me, what is it like working with Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Is he, is he not the biggest human being on the planet? Yeah, he's, he's huge. <laughs> um, so he, at the time when I was working with him, he, we were sat at the bar in the scene and he was next to me and um, he was about to have a baby with his uh, partner and he was telling me that The Rock was having a pebble. <laughs> <laughs> this is in Ballers, of course, was it? <laughs> Yeah, this was during the the kind of the time out before the next scene, so I thought that was quite funny. Because <laughs> he's like he's huge, and in all the obviously he he pumps up for the movies. In between movies, he he gets bigger, but he's he's just is he comes across though when you hear him interviewed as a really nice fella. Really, really, really nice guy. I was completely shocked. He had nothing Hollywood about him, you know. Yeah, it seems to be now. Tell me how you get to meet all these people. Um, so I worked as a model uh, since the age of 14 um, and then I was Miss Europe World in t- 2018 and so, you know, I've, I've been on quite a few adventures, uh, doing acting, TV work, modelling jobs. Right. And you, of course, you won Miss Europe World in 2018 and all that. Mm-hmm, yeah. So um, I took the Miss Europe sash to the summit of Europe's highest mountain to raise money for skin conditions. Nice. Nice one. Yeah. And you also met the Dalai Lama. Yeah, I met him last year. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was a bit <laughs> of a contrast with The Rock. <laughs> yeah, I got to hold his hand and he had really smooth hands, so he had no eczema or anything. <laughs> now, talk to me about the skin problems, because throughout all of this modelling agency work of yours and all of this uh, television and film work, you have suffered all your life with dry skin. Yes, yeah, yeah. so I have two skin conditions, eczema and psoriasis. And, you know, these can flare up at any time, so they can completely cover my entire face and body. You know, I've been called a leper. Wow. I've been called a lizard. I've heard of people um, having one or the other, but you had both? Yeah, it's actually quite rare. I had a doctor saying to me, Are you sure you have both? I was like, yes, because it's so rare to actually have both at the same time. But, you know, I just like to uh, be a bit different. because <laughs> yeah, they're, they're two different kinds of condition, aren't they? Yes, yeah, so psoriasis is plaques. Um, they come up in little, well, mine does come up in little round circular plaques. And the eczema kind of um, comes up a lot on my face or the insides of my elbows. And that's extremely itchy. And, and a lot of people listening probably can relate to the pain from eczema because it's quite a common skin condition. Yeah, yeah, eczema can be very painful. I know people who, who yeah. have it. Psoriasis is more irritating than painful, isn't that right? 
Yeah, and more unsightly. A lot of people, um, you know, I had people looking at me thinking I had some kind of tropical disease and things trying to move away from me because they don't understand what it is. They think, you know, maybe it's something that some other disease that they can catch, but it's mm. just, you know, it's just dry skin. Yeah, and it's psoriasis because your skin simply can't moisturize itself, isn't that it? And it just flakes away. Um, so your body um, produces more skin cells at a faster rate with the psoriasis. Um, so for me, uh, a lot of stress and sometimes environmental factors, and also the washing the hands a lot right now is causing yeah. the heck Yeah, you know, and since you brought that up, because a lot of people that I know, certainly, the, 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 you know, their hands are washed raw, and mm. you, the, odd, the odd product, the odd soap that you wash your hands with is fine, but it's between the soap and the sanitizer. You, you know, you're, you're washed down to the bone. We have to do it, but that must be particularly difficult for somebody like yourself. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and the weather's obviously going to be getting colder. Mm. But um, thankfully, I, I heard that Real Life is really popular in Cork. What's, uh, what's it Real called? Real Life product. Real Life, yeah, okay. Real Life. Um, so I'm using the U Life uh, brand at the moment. They've got different products, and I'm finding that the, the, the different ones, because they have different urea in them. Right. And um, this helps with the, the skin barrier. So I'm I'm absolutely loving those at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Go back to the to the bullying though. I mean you were bullied as a kid in school because of the skin. Yes. So I had um well through my whole life in, in the modeling career you know i was told i would never make a penny i'd never be successful but as a child yeah because a lot of children don't understand and you know children just kind of say what they think and what comes to their head um so yeah that was that was quite difficult yeah, it must have been very hard for you and to go on then and get into something that takes so much confidence like modeling i mean how did you how did you how did you go from one to the other because i can imagine being mocked in school for for something you've no control over must have been very hard on you as a little girl. Yeah, so I, um, well, I actually got scouted uh, for the modelling at um, a clothes show in Birmingham. And then I, I went into an agency and then that didn't really work out. So then I just decided that I wanted to, to kind of try modelling. But then, you know, when the flare-ups come and yeah. be full body, that's when the agencies are like, you know, this is an industry based on perfection, how are you supposed to model, blah, blah, blah. And then when someone tells me, oh, you can't do something, then I'm like, hold on a minute, why can't people with skin conditions have a place? And, and thankfully, the modeling industry is diversifying a lot now and, and realizing that, you know, we need to represent more people. We need yeah. to represent, you know, reality yeah. more. Um, so I think it's great. But at the time, it was a lot more difficult. You know, this we're talking about um, like 12 years ago. I know that coming into winter, people with conditions like psoriasis or eczema, it can be more problematic because central heating is not your friend. Mm, yes. So you really, really want to uh, make sure that you're moisturized. Um, just make sure you've got a really good emollient and drink drink lots and lots of water. And just what fabric is the clothes that you're wearing? Um, has, has it got a lot of irritants in it? Um, because sometimes the, the clothing can irritate your skin as well. When yeah. I was climbing the mountain uh, for the, to take the Miss Europe sash to the summit, that I had to be really careful with the clothing because the heat would rub on the skin and then it, you know, it makes it really sore. What kind of clothing should one not wear to avoid flare-ups then? Um, so just, just look into... Um, clothing that has like not a lot of irritants in it so you know you can look for organic cotton and um, that's something that that's really good um and just ones that haven't got heavy dyes 
heavy mm. chemical dyes. Okay, okay. So you're continuing with the television and the, and the modelling and and all of that. What's the next big thing? Um, so I'm doing a lot of speaking work at the moment. Um, and obviously it's all virtual right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that, you know, I love, I love going around and helping people by sharing my story. Um, and I do a lot of coaching work with, with them. Um, because I, for me now it's, it's more about service. You know, I've done a lot of the stuff on the TV, on the catwalk, London Fashion Week, all that kind of stuff. Whereas now I just really like, um, helping other people, um, through my story. Gotcha. Okay, well, well, it's good to catch up with you and uh, delighted to have you on the programme. That's Louisa Burton, uh, 1850 model and Miss Europe World and a campaigner for skin conditions like dry skin, eczema, psoriasis. She has both of them. Now, if you have either of them, you'll know they're troublesome. Imagine having the both of them. Um, and she's known as the official green queen. That's her website, the official green queen dot com. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I was just really wanted to find out what your man Dwayne Johnson is like to work with, and apparently he's a nice fella. That's my day, mate. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with the indoor self service laundrette now at the Junction Supermarket Vickers Road. Every day, washing and drying done within an hour. Self service laundry. Ie. Casey and Ross in the morning. Weekdays six to nine a.m. on Corks ninety six FM. Okay, All now right. this is why she's really nervous because the show has been piped right throughout the entire factory and everybody in Apple that's doing their oh, shift work now. <laughs> Could everybody in Apple stop what you're doing? One of your colleagues is about to make a fool of herself on the radio. Thank you. This is where, we, this is where your, your supervisors find out if you lied on your CV or not. <laughs> <laughs> Question number seven. What year was the first iPhone released? Oh my God, I should know this. <laughs> oh, pressure, pressure. Everyone in Apple, listen up. Is Tim oh. Cook anywhere in the building? <laughs> 2007. It's correct! <laughs> but you still don't get the two grand. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noeldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Corks 96 FM. Oh, another chance to play this. <laughs> I believe there were some interesting moments here on Friday. Um, when Deirdre was talking about snooker. She says I should leave a script for her in future. <laughs> or I should have left a script for her. But it's it's been a very interesting few days for Cork Snooker in particular and a fantastic success Thursday night for young Aaron Hill who beat the defending world champion, six times world champion, Ronnie O'Sullivan. He beat him and then he went on to beat Matthew Stevens the following day and uh, it was a very, very tight schedule then. Aaron, good morning. How's it going, PJ? Good. Great. Congratulations, first of all, on beating the, beating the rocket. Um, and I saw your interview afterwards, and I loved what you said about you swore that someday you'd show him what you can do, and maybe this was that day. Uh, Matthew Stevens was another tough opponent. Was it that you just went on then, and was it, was it just a punishing schedule? Because you were playing well against the Chinese lad as well. Yeah, it was very cutthroat. That, uh, to go straight back on. I finished um, uh, Matthew about 20 past six. Yeah. And I was straight back on at 7 o'clock. 
Right. And I only had enough time to get a banana into me. Yeah. So there wasn't much. There wasn't much in me in that game compared yeah. to the other few. Like, yeah, but you, you held your own. In fairness, he just had more than you on the night, and energy was one thing he had. You were knackered at that stage because <laughs> you, you you had the rocket on on Thursday night, and then Hugh Stevens on Friday afternoon, and then straight into another match. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's the same for every time. I just finished extra late. Yeah. Um, against against Matt against Matthew. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> a lot of players finished about three or four o'clock, so they had a few hours to yeah. rest before they played. But me and Matthew's game just went the next round, and that's the joys with them. Ah, it is. Yeah, it happens. It happened. It even happened this year during the World Championship. Some of the scheduling which went a bit barmy. Uh, because of the whole social distancing thing, you were playing behind closed doors, of course, weren't you? Uh, yeah. yeah, there was just um, I, I took eight tables, I think, yeah. and another two of them, which were the two kind of TV tables. Yeah, uh, yeah. so I behind closed doors. Yeah, no, yeah. delighted with though, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Have you come down yet? Like, <laughs> it's small, but um, once you get back home, it's it's kind of. The first first day back home was unbelievable. The buzz was still on the high. Was, I'm kind of relaxed now again and preparing for my next tournament. Yeah. When is the next tournament? When will we? When, when do you go off again? The 12th of October, the English Open. So where do you start? What draw are you in? The same draw as Randy O'Sullivan. I got you. Got you. So you yeah. could come up against him again. When, when, when will you know the draw? Probably next week. Right, so you could find yourself up against him again. You <laughs> know, you never know. You'd never know. You'd never know. Your dad, your dad is on the other line. Steve, how are you? Good morning, PJ. How things? Good, good. He's so he's some bit of stuff. Unbelievable. We, 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 it's just from day one. Like, we, we can see that now and then. Um, it's just that he keep on surprising us and breaking records all the time. And it's just like like you, you, you're you're full of pride all the time, and people keep on saying this all the time. And it, it never goes like because then Tim Alan goes where we're going. To, we think we're going to ex- expect something exciting from him, and it's just that he he always just keeps on surprising us. And then yeah. you, you you just don't from the height and you're, you're up again because he's doing stuff. He's doing stuff again. And then it's just, At yeah. what stage did you realise, Steve, that this young fella has something in him? Well, I suppose the first time I brought him down. Uh, it was just weeks after that. It's just that he he, he became the talk of the Crucible Snooker Club, and then he he just he just um, he just special gift you can't teach it. It's just it's just amazing. There's so many people were talking about him, and then so as the months went by, then he was he was winning national titles, and then onto the Europeans, and he was winning them, and here we are four years down the road, and he's beaten Ronnie Sullivan, the world champion, and uh, and and other top guys, and. It's just I can't explain. It's just, just yeah, it's phenomenal. Who was your boyhood? Was it was it Ronnie? Aaron was your boyhood idol growing up. Like when you took a, a cue in your hand for the first time and a piece of chalk and bent down to break the balls. Was there someone that you thought, yeah, he's the guy I'd like to be? Yeah, Ronnie O'Sullivan, of course. Yeah, um, it's probably every single young player's uh, childhood hero, I suppose. Um, I just watch him every single day. I still do. Yeah. Most nights, even after beating him, I still watch him. But um, as I've matured in the game the last couple of months and whatever, the last year or so, 
I started to watch uh, Stephen Hendry also. Yeah. Because I, I wouldn't have been around, obviously, in his days. So I've been watching back his games and stuff. Yeah. And He's going back on the pro circuit. He got his he got his pro, his pro license back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That'll be interesting. You could find yourself against um, him now. <laughs> <laughs> I think his first tournament is the UK Championship. Right. And um, I think it's November, December. Right. He's not played any tournaments before that. Yeah. I don't know why, but... That's what people yeah. are saying. Got a, probably got a bit of practicing too. He's what is he fifty now? Yeah, he seems to have been working hard in his game. He's working with a a new coach, slight right, Steve Feeney. His name is. Yeah, it seems to be it seems to be doing wonders for him. I was talking to a few fellas Friday. Um, we were talking about you in particular and and beating Ronnie and all that, and that Matthew Stevens. I figured you would beat Matthew Stevens, and I was right. But but I, we were saying about about Henry. One of the reasons he's come back into the circuit is he doesn't want Ronnie to get seven titles. <laughs> he wants to he wants to try and stop him. But you could he could, you could, he could find himself up against a young young Mister Hill one day soon. Yeah, he says he's very, fairly worried, all right, about Ronnie beating his record, but I don't think he'd be stopping him. But um, I'd say he just got the bite back for the game, and yeah. he just probably just wants to get back out there and probably got the hunger back to play again. Yeah. So, so where where are you in the in the ranks now, Aaron? You just turned pro. What happened there last weekend will be really good for you. Like, are you ready to base yourself in the UK now, or will Cork be home for the foreseeable? I've got a lot of tournaments um, almost every week, every two weeks. So I'm practically in England all the time. Yeah. It's just whenever I've like a week or two off, I come home then see the family or whatever. But when there's when there's a few tournaments on one after the other, I'll be staying over there, yeah. Yeah, the old quarantining is hard at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, what uh, we can do about it. Like, anymore. have you to isolate now? Have you to quarantine now? Um, I, t- I t- well, if I have a tournament next week, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm going to have yeah. to go to the tournament. I think there's an exception for professional sportsmen. Or yeah, you probably have to be whatever, tested a couple of times and all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah but Tried, tried to keep a low profile anyway since I've come back. All right, listen. Are we looking at Are we looking at Crucible Twenty Twenty One, young man? <laughs> um, is that the dream? Then is that the new dream now? Crucible Twenty Twenty One. Yeah, no matter what year it is, I'll get it some year. Oh, damn sure you will. <laughs> I've no doubt. I've 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 no doubt. Uh, Andrew was on to us. He was saying he met um, Aaron several times and he managed shooters. And apart from seeing he was really talented, what I wanted to highlight is his manner. A credit to himself and his parents. So polite, so no ego, and so grounded. So, yeah, it's just, that's nice to hear. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I, 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 I know, I don't think, I know that you'll be in the Crucible sometime very, very soon. If not next year, then within the next. I, I predict, I've predicted a world title semi-final for you at least within five years, Aaron Hill. So there you go. I, I predict hope a world championship. No, I predict a world championship semi-final minimum for you. You'll be playing on the one-table stage of the Crucible Theatre within five years. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be, be marvellous? Wouldn't it be marvellous? Listen, you're 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 a young rising star, and the very very best luck to you, young man. And, and Steve, uh, be, be proud of him because he's a great kid, and he's got a, a big big future. 
Jag vill prata igen. Tänk så alla kvar just under jag tror till No bother, no bother. We have snoo, we have snoo. Well, I'm a big snooker fan. <laughs> he struggles a little bit with it, but yeah. Oh, I'm delighted with that now. I tell you, that, watch that Jonfler. Watch that Jonfler. Single tame, single table stage of the Crucible within five years. Mark it down. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With a solid fuel depot. Now located at the Junction Supermarket Vickers Road. Coal, gas, kiln dried wood and briquettes. For collection or delivery. Solidfueldepot.ie Cork's 96FM is now streaming even more music choice. More music choice. Check out the Hit Mix online for fresh new music. Keep on dancing like you ain't got a choice. And stream the all-new FitMix for your workout. <laughs> Listen on your phone and smart speaker. Turn up the volume. Or go, go, go to 96fm.ie. Courts 96fm. My last guest on the program today is a man who works in the public health in Department of Public Health in Queensland, Australia. Or wouldn't you know it? He's an Irishman, and his name has been mentioned in dispatches on the show before. I caught up over the weekend with Dr. Niall Conroy. Dr. Conroy, thank you very much for taking my call. Just be aware of, because you're in Australia, there could be a slight delay on the line. You come highly recommended to us by, by a regular participant in our show, Dr. Jerry Killeen. You wrote an article recently with uh, Dr. Nick Eichler in New Zealand about what we could learn here from the response in Australia and New Zealand. I think you, you're very complimentary of how Neffet and the government, indeed, have handled things so far. Yeah, I think um, my, myself and Nick Eichler um, both worked in public health in Ireland, and Nick now works in New Zealand. I, I now work in Queensland and Australia. And I suppose, you know, the key points we were trying to make, not, neither of us tried to be a hurler on the ditch. We were trying to say, well, look, we have a unique perspective working in two countries where I think it's agreed that um, we've dealt reasonably well with COVID. And I think exactly like you're saying, I think we have to recognise where Ireland has done well. Um, you know, the, the chief medical officer, Ronan Glynn, um, his predecessor, Tony Hull, and I are great fans of both of theirs and um, really considered approaches to this epidemic. Um, really, really good guidance we're seeing there. We've seen um, really good communication, daily press conferences, keeping people informed, the release of data. Even recently, we've seen data coming out in Ireland at sort of local council level, which is phenomenal, not happening in most countries. And then we've got, you know, really innovative um, utilisation of other arms of the health service, like um, like the National Ambulance Service, for example, for doing swabbing in, um, in meat factories. They're, they're going out to people's homes who are bed-bound. And I have to say, a lot of countries, Australia included, have talked about that, have even trained up people to do it in the ambulance service. But actually, I'm not aware of anywhere that's actually doing it. So I think, you know, before a conversation like this, where you, where you start thinking about what Ireland could be doing better, yeah. it is important to acknowledge what Ireland is doing really well. And, and I'm very pleased to do that. Now, at the moment, we're in a delicate situation in Cork, Niall, and already Dublin and... Donegal have gone up to our level three. We're presently on level two, but we're concerned because of the caseloads, and I've been following them very closely on this programme, the caseloads in Cork over the last couple of weeks, that we may have to follow suit. Do you think that's the way to go, that we have a sliding scale of one to five 
and dependent on what your situation is, you you are, to use the term, locked down to one extent or another until you eliminate from your own region or at least get your transmission down in your own region? Well, it's one approach. And what I would say is there's no perfect approach. Nobody has got it perfect. Australia and New Zealand haven't got it perfect. Europe hasn't, and no one in Europe has got it perfect. There's, I've seen the, the sort of level one to five um, document that was released by the government. Well, what I would say very um, up front is that that's a stages of lockdown document. It's not a strategy. And I think when you're talking about lockdown um, or population restriction, it needs to be part of a strategy. And I think that's something Ireland could probably do a little bit better on because you've got to think what's, what's the point of a lockdown? What are we looking to achieve? And to my mind, you know, um, when we first start talking to the public about lockdown in January and February, people really hadn't come across this concept at all. Um, but people in public health had. And the point of lockdown was sort of twofold. The first one, you lock down to try and protect intensive care beds and emergency department capacity. Mm. You know, you, you're trying to flatten the curve as it was referred to quite a, quite a lot early on. Mm. And that's, that's one thing. And usually that's going in the context of we need to protect our intensive care beds while we busily um, upscale the number of intensive care beds, the number of inpatient beds, the general practice capacity that we have. So that's one reason for lockdown. You have to ask yourself, to be fair, has Ireland done all that work in the background while locking down? Did we increase the bed capacity? You know, did we increase public health unit capacity? The answer is probably no or not enough. The, you know, the other sort of reason for lockdown is what we did in Australia is where you lock down and essentially you're saying to your public health units to manage these sort of outbreaks is, okay, we're going to lock down. We're going to stop new cases coming in when you mop up the cases that we have, right. you know, and then we'll, we'll keep the numbers low and we'll watch those low numbers so carefully and we'll absolutely jump on them when they, when they start to rise. And I suppose we would often think about it like um, managing a cancer, right? You want, to, you want to cut the cancer out, and sometimes you can't get it all out. So what you do is you cut it out so there's maybe only a little bit left. Mm. But you don't then, you, you know that the cancer is going to grow back, but you don't wait for it to grow back to its full size and then do another operation uh-huh. and cut it out. You cut it down to 5% and you watch it, you scan it, and as soon as it grows a little bit, you, you hit it with some chemotherapy or some radiation, to keep it low. Yes. And my concern about lockdowns as they're happening in Ireland is that they're the end in itself rather than a means to an end. You know, we know in public health that if you lock down Dublin, for example, it's very effective. Looking at the level five, you know, or the level four lockdown, um, you know, uh, actions in the document, they will be very effective. So people will see um, that, that that case numbers will drop. But then we'll, we'll reduce those, um, those actions and the case numbers are going to go up. And at that stage, we're going to be locking down somewhere else. And then someone's going to say, oh, look, the cases are coming back up in Dublin again. You know, all right, we've got to lock yeah. them down again. And, and you end up saying whack-a-mole. And that's my concern with lockdowns. Lockdowns work. They're really effective. But they should be a means to an end. They should be a way to buy you time. It shouldn't be the end in itself, if that makes sense. It, it does make sense, but... I'm 
drawn to ask you, what is the strategy? You use a lockdown to get to a place. What are we doing wrong in that in that particular strategy? Well, I suppose then you have to think about what what you want to do. It's not that we're doing anything wrong. It's that I don't see what the strategy is. So, to my mind, one of the strategies might be to take Dublin, for example, and you get the cases down to a very low level, and then you resource your public health units to go in and you essentially say to those guys, we give you all the resources you need to keep those cases low, right? And the reality is, in Ireland, um, you know, as testament to me, testament to me and Nick, both having left um, the public health unit system um, in the HSE at the end of last year, you can't get a public health doctor in Ireland for love or money because it's so hard to do your job. And I'm not trying to make an industrial deletion point. I'm, I'm making the point, I suppose, that in order to manage these low cases after outbreak and to stop them ballooning again, you've got to look to your public health units. Mm. Now, I would say very few people in Ireland know what the public health units do or where they are or who's in them. I think most people think um, the outbreak is managed in the corridors of Neffet, um or by the chief medical officer's office. And that's not the case. They're managed by the public health unit and they're desperately under-resourced. So, you know, that's my concern from that perspective. If you want to look at it a different way in terms of the, the much-discussed elimination strategy, what you would do is you would lock down and you would close off the borders and impose some kind of a, a mandatory quarantine for new cases coming in. Mm. And that's much easier because what happens is you... You do that all over the country rather than in isolation. And you get the levels down to very low levels, but you're not bringing any new cases in. And one of the biggest problems when you're in lockdown and you, you, you release it is that the importation of new cases, and they lead to whole new chains of transmission, mm. which balloon and balloon, and the next thing you have, you know, a, a, another spike in cases or another wave. So I, I wouldn't say I'm doing anything necessarily wrong in that space. What I'm saying is I don't see the strategy. I don't see the public health unit being resourced to live with the virus, as people say, and I don't see any discussion of border controls to stop new cases coming in. So it looks to me there's an absence of a strategy rather than the wrong strategy. Let's look at the comparison then with the most recent biggest story we got in terms of lockdown from Australia, Niall, which was Melbourne, a very harsh Mm. lockdown imposed within hours what is the situation in Melbourne now? Pretty good. So, um, Melbourne went from 800 cases a day to today they have 12 cases um, in just two months. And that's an extraordinary achievement. It, it really is. It'll take them another, you know, we always say in public health, it takes about, it takes 95% of your resources um, to get rid of your last 5% of cases that are the hardest crimes, you know. And, you know, it'll take them another month or two to get back down to a level where we are in Queensland. Mm. And, and compared to then and what happens, how would they then reopen? Is there, is there a planned reopening? Because obviously you have to reopen. So how do they do it? So they'll do it in exactly the same way Ireland is doing it. The difference is, in Australia, public health units are extraordinarily well resourced to go and find new cases that we've missed. So you can nearly guarantee that when they reopen, there'll be a few cases out there that they've missed. Okay, and if you miss them, you know yourself, one person passes it to two people, those people pass it to another two people, next thing is out of control. The public health units 
extraordinarily well resourced to win and find those missing cases. So they'll do that. The other thing is, we're not going to be bringing in new cases from outside, which are going to see new um, chains of transmission. And the real benefit is that everywhere around Melbourne, so Melbourne has its border um, with the other states, but those other states don't have COVID. The majority of Australia is COVID-free. So when they open up, you know, their border, New South Wales has nearly got rid of all its COVID, they're not going to be importing new cases. So my difficulty is with when you look at the lockdown in Dublin, mm. when you open it up, you're not stopping people coming from areas with a higher incidence of the disease. So people are still going to travel into Dublin and see more chains of transmission there. Yes. We won't have that problem in Australia because most of Australia is COVID-free. Does that make sense? Yes. Talk to me about quarantine, because one thing that happened in both Australia and New Zealand, um, I spoke to people who'd travelled home to New Zealand and found that they were either checked by the police within 24 hours to see that they actually were where they said they were going to be, or actually found themselves corralled into a hotel. We've not done that here. No, and that's, that's part of a very particular strategy in both Australia and New Zealand that I suppose... Um, reflects what we would call in public health a data-driven approach to management of an outbreak. And we did this very early in Australia because we looked at the data. The data was really simple. It said that most of our cases were coming from overseas. So what we do is we know that our public health units can manage the cases on the ground. Yeah, We can take care of them. We can find them. We can isolate the people. We can find their contacts. We can manage clusters. We do all that kind of thing. But what's an absolute nightmare when you're trying to do that is when other clusters are cropping up and other cases are coming because new cases are coming from overseas. So the way we avoid that to allow us to concentrate our efforts on what's actually happening within Australia is that we put people arriving into hotel quarantine. And essentially what happens is you you land on your plane and you're bussed to a hotel room. And you stay there for 14 days. You're tested usually around day three and around day 10. And if you're negative at the end of it, go on your way and nothing more to do. If you're positive, you stay in quarantine uh, until you're better and you're no threat to the community and then you're released. And, and who funds that? So initially it was all funded by the Australian government. It's really expensive, you know. Um, and I think I would be the first person to say that there's always a lot of economic discussions around this. It's really expensive. It's really resource intensive. So what they, that they found in Australia is there really wasn't practical for the government to fund it anymore. So they gave a period of time. They sort of said, right, guys, if you're not home by this day, you're going to have to pay for your own hotel quarantine. So people arriving now have to have to pay for their own quarantine. Now, there are exemptions for people who, you know, just couldn't afford it or the elderly or whatever. You, you, you know, not everyone pays for it, but the majority of people have to pay for their own quarantine. You mentioned again contact tracing and last week, and a man I'm sure you've come across in your own work, is uh, Philip Nolan. He's the, the modeller for, oh, yeah. for Neffet. And he gave an outline last week of how we do tracing in this country. And he was saying that really we only have the resources to go back your last 48 hours or maybe your last 72 at a push, even though the, the disease could have been seeding, as they say, in your system for a week or a week and a bit. That's not an adequate contact tracing system, is it? Um, so I, I, I saw the comments that Philip made. Um, he's, he's a really good guy, and he, he was raising the issue of resourcing. So what happens in Ireland is sort of two pronged. It's unusual that um, when when there's a case of COVID, and it's a really simple case. So let's say I get COVID, 
and I live with my wife. There's just the two of us in the house. We haven't had many contacts, and it's fairly straightforward. It goes to a contact tracing centre. If it's a little bit more complicated, like I work in a hospital or a nursing home or something like that, or I live in a house with lots and lots of people, it goes to the public health unit. And the way cases are managed um, in the public health unit and the contact tracing centres are very different. Contact tracing centres are phenomenally useful to public health units. The problem is in Ireland, um, there's been a, a huge misunderstanding at a political level and in some sections of the media as well. They, they talk about test trace isolate or contact tracing for the whole lot. People in public health don't talk about that. They talk about outbreak management. And contact tra- expanding contact tracing without having enough people in public health units to coordinate that is going to lead to situations like this. This is exactly what's happened. So essentially, contact tracing centres are running independently of public health units. From speaking to my colleagues back in Ireland, public health units, as I would expect, as was my, was my experience when I worked in Ireland, they go all the way back as far as they need to go. They're really experienced in this. They will, they're like disease detectives. They will work out how far they need to go back to find the source of the outbreak. Then they find that source and they think, where else could the source have spread it? And they go looking for other cases. They're phenomenally good at their job, but they're wildly under-resourced. The contact tracing centres um, have a more formulaic approach, you know, sort of a questionnaire-based approach mm. that um, goes back to two days before you develop symptoms, which is when you're contagious. But they're really, they're really concerned about who you might have given COVID to, which are the people you were in touch with from two days before your symptoms until you were diagnosed. The public health units are concerned about that, but they're also concerned about where you got it, because wherever you've got it might have seeded other chains of transmission elsewhere. So they'll go and aggressively chase those down. The contact tracing centres can't. They don't have the capacity. They, they don't have that sort of disease detective experience. There's no reason they should. They're really good people. They're, they're working really hard, but they're not public health doctors and nurses mm. and epidemiologists. So that's your problem. Like uh, all contact tracers where I work sit inside the unit of which I'm the director and they come and talk to me about cases. They don't work in a contact centre somewhere else. You know, we in public health, we manage cases and we manage outbreaks. Outsourcing bits of it, um, it, it it's okay. It, it, it has its place in a, when you have a big spike of cases. Mm. But in an ideal world, anyone in public health in Ireland will tell you they would like a more integrated um, system where the public health unit takes strategic lead so that kind of thing doesn't happen. Anecdotally as well, what we have here is that someone might hear that, oh yeah, look, you were a close contact of someone who's now a confirmed case. Go for a test if you feel unwell. Like That sounds a bit too much like giving a person a choice. Um, in, In the HSE guidance, um, everyone who's a close contact has to get tested. Now, I, it's very hard for me to speak about anecdotes and what's happening on the ground and how often that's missed yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, you, you know, it is a very under-resourced service. But the, the, the way it's supposed to work um, is that if you're a close contact with a case, you get tested. And I, I think where the difference is maybe between Ireland and Australia in that space is if you don't go for a test, like you said, if you give people a choice, um, you know, if you don't go for a test, nothing happens. In Australia, if you're close contact, you don't go for a test. We won't make you go for a test, but we'll put you into 
quarantine for another 10 days after the end of your 14-day period to make sure you, you, you're you not um, going to spread it into the community. Australia has very much a sort of a rules and enforcement-based approach to this. Um, Ireland um, is relying on the compliance of of the people, which generally, I have to say, I'm, I'm a big fan of generally. Like when, when Simon Harris talked about bringing in mandatory vaccination, I was the first person to write the Irish Medical Journal saying mandatory things in public health are bad news. But sometimes during a pandemic like this, yeah. you need a bit of enforcement. You, you need the stick as well as the carrot. Yeah, yeah. There needs to be a consequence to, to not getting that, that yeah. test. Now, at the moment, as we have... Uh, the, the 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 upswing in cases again. I, I hate using the term second wave, and I'm sure other public health experts do too. But it's what's be we have the the smell of a second wave. Shall we have? Shall we say in Ireland? And what I think people are most fearful of, Doctor Conroy, is that we'll have another disaster in care homes, another disaster in nursing homes. Can we do anything that will guarantee that does not happen? No. You can't do anything to guarantee it won't happen, even in Australia, where we have um, a really enviable public health system by world standards. What keeps me awake at night is the fact that I live in the part of Queensland with the highest number of nursing homes um, in the whole state. Now, we've been we've been lucky, and we made our own luck as well, but we haven't had any cases in nursing homes where I live. Um, but it's what keeps me awake at night, and it's what scares me, because when it gets into nursing homes, people die. And I spent probably 30% of my working life working with nursing homes, making plans with nursing homes, running through desktop scenarios with nursing homes to stop that happening. And if it does happen, to make sure we have a plan to deal with it. My colleagues in Ireland aren't as well resourced to allow them the time to do that, though they do some of it. Um, but it's what keeps me awake at night. And the problem is um, there's, there's a fact that none of us can get away from. Is, and that is, the more cases you have in the community, the more chance you have of it getting into a nursing home. So, to, you know, to, to give you a very obvious example, where I am now, we, you know, we haven't had COVID in about two months. Um, whereas, you know, so obviously we have no cases in our nursing home. Down in Melbourne, where they had all the stuff that you would think a textbook public health service would have in place, they got lots and lots of cases. Um, in, in their nursing home during, as you call it, the second wave. And it really is the point. The best way to stop it getting into a nursing home or to get into your nursing home is to reduce the amount of COVID in the community. And for that, you need a strategy. And I don't see these sort of continuous whack-a-mole lockdown yeah. as being a strategy. Finally, as, as a man from Ireland now practicing what you do in Australia, like you said, properly resourced, properly funded and properly supported. What advice would you have for the Minister for Health and for the government in terms of what they could and should be doing for the public health sector here, the one that you left because of obvious, obviously your, your, your misgivings with it? Yeah, the, the biggest issue, um, the reason I left was because public health doctors in Ireland are completely hamstrung. They don't have the authority or the autonomy. I'm over here and I have a full consultant contract. My colleagues in Ireland get this odd contract that was invented 70 years for them called specialist contract. It's not a thing about money. They're very well paid anyway, but it's about autonomy 
and the ability to make decisions. And you, in Ireland, you you don't have the full um, authority that a consultant has. And um, within in Australia and every other English-speaking country, you do. And it's this historical anomaly that needs to be fixed. We had been promised it would be fixed in July, um, but then, unfortunately, um, uh, Michael McGrath and his Department of Public Expenditure Reform recently told my colleagues, sorry, we don't have the money to do it. And um, that's really knocked the sails out of my I've never seen my colleagues so demoralised. They haven't got the autonomy. They haven't got the decision-making capability. You know, you have a great public health unit in Cork, but mm. you never hear from them. They're too busy. They're absolutely swamped. And they're really good people. And they're world-class. They're hamstrung. And I, if, I, if, I, if I have the time, I just mentioned maybe one or two things that I think you could do with quick fixes. Because these things go, don't go ahead, overnight. please. We're interested, yeah. In, in, yeah, in Ireland, one of the things that worries me greatly is access to testing. So what we know about COVID is it can prevent from anything to a blocked nostril to you having sepsis and pneumonia and dying in intensive care. And my real concern about Ireland is the criteria to get a test is very narrow. You must have this symptom, this symptom, or this symptom. And when I look at those criteria, I think, God, about 20% of the, the cases I've managed here wouldn't even qualify to be tested in Ireland, right? And I think this is, this is crazy. You need to... You need to be able to test anybody who has even the slightest sign of even something as mild as a head cold, because not everybody has those symptoms that are on the criteria. The other thing is access to actual swabbing. I'm deeply concerned about this. We know that COVID absolutely loves vulnerable populations. And the problem is, in Australia, the way we've looked at swabbing is we opened up, you know, a very simple like a marquee with two nurses in it and some swabs and in every sort of town and you go in if you have a runny nose and you say I've got a runny nose they take a swab and they send it off to the lab the lab sends you an SMS within a day or two and says it's negative and away you go in Ireland they you've got to you've got to have these very specific symptoms that are on the HSE website then you've got to ring your GP assuming it's Monday to Friday you've got to try and get your out of hours if it's not then the GP has to ring um, the testing centre, mm. and then the testing centre has to ring you, and they tell you you've got to go somewhere uh, at a very specific time on a very specific day. Now, you or me, TJ, that's dead easy, right? We make an appointment and we turn up, right? The people in very vulnerable populations, people with substance abuse, people living in sheltered accommodation, um, immigrant population, they often, you know, are getting these text messages if they ha- even have it in the first place. They say, you must be at this place tomorrow at four o'clock. And if they don't get two buses to get there, they may not have the money to get the bus. Something may happen in their life that they can't get there. And what we know in public health that has been evident in every disease we've ever dealt with is that if you put barriers in between a person and a test, the more barriers you put put between a person and a test, the less uptake of that test you have. Mm. And you'll remember a few weeks ago, people in Ireland were saying, oh, only 70% of people are turning up for testing. Yeah. And that's a part of that reason is because you put barriers there. And a real public health 101, a real basic tenet of public health medicine is that you've got to make testing really, really easy. You've got to let somebody just walk in, get tested, and go home. So 
that, that's, that's a real concern I have around the criteria for testing and the ability to actually get to a, a testing centre. And these are things that I think are really going to impact on vulnerable populations. And let me tell you, once COVID starts circulating in a vulnerable population, it will be, you know, these are the people who keep society open frequently. They have they, they sleep in crowded quarters. It balloons out of control really quick. And that's something that should be, I think, to be dealt with quickly and should be dealt with quickly. Those are words of warning. I hope the officials listening will take them on board. Thank you very much for your time, Dr. Conroy. My pleasure, BJ. Anytime. That's Dr. Niall Conroy who I spoke to over the weekend. He works in public health in Queensland, Australia, where they haven't had a case for yonks. And you can see where Melbourne, they're driving it down and driving it down and driving it down. As of today, we've had 366 cases in 14 days, 73 per 100,000 people. Back in lockdown with 307. I'm reminded that it's 27th of March, six months ago today, we had this announcement. Do you remember this one? So with the fact from midnight tonight, everybody must stay at home in all circumstances. All public and private gatherings are prohibited. Non-essential shops and services will be closed. Shielding or cocooning will be introduced. All public transport and passenger travel will be restricted only to essential workers and people providing essential services. That was six months ago today. Let us not go back there. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction Supermarket, Vickers Road. Everyday essentials, fresh bakery and Asian foods. Open every day till late. The Junction Supermarket, Vickers Road. That's it. See you tomorrow just after nine.